breath. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Stephen. Morning, Dave. Good to see you. Really, really enjoyed last week's fellowship. It was spot on. It was oh, wonderful. thank you. Thank you. Glad to hear I, that. I, I, I could not wait for it to come up so I could watch it again and see if I could actually absorb some of that, you know. But thank you. Wow. Well, that's really good to hear. That's really good to hear, Dave. You know, it is Yah's blessing that we can come together uh, this way. I don't know how long we're going to be able to continue to do it. Doing it. Hi, Dan. Shabbat Hi, Jennifer. Good to see you. Hi. Good morning. Shabbat Hi, Joy. Hi, Hi, Angela. Blessings to you. Blessings to you, Joy. I got Hi. my large print separate. Morning, Chris. Hi, Judy. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Murray. Shabbat Shalom. Right. Good to see you. Hey, Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Marielle. Hi, Raina. Good morning. Shabbat Shalom, Stephen. Shabbat Shalom, family. Hi, Lori. Good to see you. Good morning. Hey, yeah, hey, Randall. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom, Dr. P. Shalom, everyone. Hi, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, David. Hi, Eileen. Good to see you. All right. We're getting there. Shabbat Shalom. I heard that. <laughs> the youngsters are with us. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. Hi. Good morning. Hey. All right. Irena. Hi, Jesse. I'm glad to see you're here. Hi. Thank you. In the wee That's hours of the morning there. Yeah, I know it's not the morning over there now, is it? No. Not quite so wee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's see here. Yeah, we're getting there. Okay, put this together. Yeah, I know for some people, you know, uh, anymore, you know, I don't know whether or not you guys heard this, but there were cables cut uh, to the Shetland Islands in the UK and cables cut into the south of France, interrupting internet service. And this appears to be um, one of the uh, aspects of the coming war is to... Um, begin to eliminate internet service, right? The connectivity. And so as it stands right now, we're able to meet this way with the blessings of Yah. And we meet from all over the world, you know? And we, you know, Chris from South Africa, and Jesse from England and Ireland. I've been Corey from Ireland and, and um, other people from other parts of the world. Gabriella from Finland. I don't know if she's here yet, but... Uh, <coughs> How long will this continue? You know, who knows? We don't know. But right now, this is what we have. So we're blessed that Yah has been has provided this for us. That we can meet together as a family and talk and share the Shabbat. Now today, today's Shabbat, we start the Torah portion anew. Hallelujah. So I'm caught up with my recordings. That's good. How long that'll go on? Who does? Who knows? I don't know. But right now, uh, the Torah portion is available in writing and in recording on the Sefer website. So you can get that if that's where you want to listen to it. But before we get started, let's pray a moment here and uh, see if we can 
be joined by the Ruach HaKodesh in the will of Yahweh. So Heavenly Father, we pray now, we give, we give thanks to you this morning, blessing your name and setting forth ourselves before you here on this Shabbat. To say, Father, restore us and heal us. Bring us into your family, Father, and circle your arms around us, that we may be called your children, that we might approach you as children, your children, that you would be our Elohim, that we would be your family. Father, we pray that as we set, for, set out this day before you and set aside this day to you, that you would bless it and keep it, and that you would also bring us into full restoration with you, Father, that we would be part of your kingdom, to be under your wings, be part of your nourishment. Father, we praise you for the things you're doing on the earth right now, that it is your intent to restore yourself uh, over the earth, that your name might be glorified in this place, and that your children might come to know you and to see you and to say, there is no other. You are our Yahweh, our Elohim. So, Father, we praise you now, lift this to you this morning, this afternoon, or this evening, depending on where you are, and that you would again bless this fellowship, bless this fellowship with your Ruach HaKodesh, that your words would be heard and not ours, that your spirit would guide, your Ruach would guide us in your ways. We give thanks to you now. Yadai Yahweh. Amen. 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 So this morning, um, you know, I do want to start with not the Torah portion from Genesis, actually. We know that Torah portion, you know, well, there's so much to be said about that Torah portion. I mean, I spent, I think, seven years on Genesis 1-1. I had people coming by the fellowship saying, you're still on Genesis 1-1? Well, I haven't exhausted it yet. <laughs> we haven't got it all worked out yet. And uh, there's so much in that passage. But rather, to take a look at the, at the Haftarah portion, the Haftarah portion that comes out of Isaiah, uh, because it is, it's a remarkable promise. This is out of Isaiah, beginning it in uh, 42, verse 5. If you don't mind, I'm just going to read it to us all while we're, people are coming in. Thus says El Yahweh, he that created the heavens and stretched them out. He that spread forth the earth and that which comes out of it. He that gives breath unto the people upon it and ruach to them that walk therein. Now, you know, this is such an important point right here that Yahweh gives breath unto his people. And, you know, this is not a, a small thing. The very breath that he breathed in the nostrils of Adam is the breath that is in our nostrils. It's the same breath. When someone knocks you out, you continue to breathe. It's an involuntary act because it's the breath of Yahweh. He that gives breath unto the people, right, that would cause us to be nefesh haya, a living soul and to a ruach, to them that walk therein. Well, you know, ruach is another word for breath, right? But it's not just any breath. It is the breath of Yah. And so this is kind of a double entendre, if you will. I, Yahweh, have called you in righteousness. 
Now, a lot of people, in fact, I had somebody comment on, on the message I did on Thursday. Oh, Yah is a is a an L of wickedness and destruction and, uh, you know, wants uh, animal slaughter and person slaughter. And it's completely contrary to the character of Jesus, right? Well, here, this completely belies that because you see it right here where it says, I, Yahweh, have called you in righteousness. I have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people for a light to other nations. Now, this prophecy that's given here, actually, we're going to see is a latter day prophecy that is being given here by Isaiah. I will call you as a light of the other nations. Now, again, this becomes such an important instruction to us that we're going to have to be the light in the coming darkness. There is a coming darkness. And the coming darkness is going to be an intense darkness because, quite frankly, we're going to fold back into the dark ages faster than you can possibly imagine. And, you know, and I think a lot of this, I mean, I'll just kind of explain my take on this, is that, you know, I, when I was a young man, you know, watching the technology, the te technological revolution that took place from in, in the 60s to the 70s, 80s, 90s, it was really quite something to watch. And, you know, we, we need to recall that it wasn't that long ago. You go back to the year 1900, nobody had automobiles. You know, there were people who had a job of going around and lighting the gas lamps at night so that there would be light in the city, in the community, of gas lamps. There was no aircraft in the air, nobody flying anywhere. There were no telephones, there were no radios. You know, the radio didn't proliferate until the teens. <clears throat> No telephones, no computers, no internet. No international travel except by boat or by horse. Oh, there was trains, there were trains. But the technology was very, very slow to emerge. And then with the technological breakthrough of the 20th century, we see stuff just immediately just advance very, very quickly. Now, there are people who say, well, this happened as a result of those uh, beings found at Roswell disclosing information. Well, the Book of Hanok tells us a different story. The Book of Hanok tells us that it was fallen watchers that brought information to the earth. And somebody wrote me the other day and said, well, you know, you need to do a study on watchers after the flood. Uh, how did the watchers get here after the flood if it wasn't? Serpent seed contained in Cain, right? If it wasn't serpent seed in Cain, then, uh, then how did the watchers get here after the flood? Well, it's very interesting because, of course, Numbers 13.33, first of all, Genesis 6.4 says that there were watchers after the flood that fell after the flood. Enoch tells us that of the third of heaven that fell, only 200 came to earth. Only 200 fell, you know, it, it did the evil deed on earth. But there were more. And Numbers 13.33 tells us that Anak, 
was one of them. Now, Anak, the father of the Anakim, these were giants in the land, right? These were the giants in the land that the house of Israel had to face when they came into the land of Canaan. And Anak was a fallen watcher after the flood. And so the watchers are, have been disclosing information to mankind. And I think there was a massive disclosure that took place in the 20th century. There were huge disclosures that were being taken place. Now, I don't know if they came through Nikola Tesla or if they came through some other Europeans, uh, such as Enrico Fermi and some of the other people, but there were disclosures that were made of technology that had not been known before. And when these disclosures were made, we advanced into a new era. We advanced into a new age and the spike of technology was really quite acute. In other words, we had a line of technology going along like this and suddenly it goes like this, right? <coughs> this acuteness brought us to a technological peak. And I think the technological peak hit uh, right around the year 2000. It might've been a little bit earlier than that, but it was right in that range. And in 2001, a George Bush elected to begin to harvest that technology with the um, inside job that took place at the World Trade Center on 9-11. We entered into a century now of what is unending conflict, unending war, unending destruction. And the pace has been quite wicked and the wicked among us, and they are wicked, our leadership is wicked, almost, almost 100% wicked. The leadership has been pushing us into a greater and greater conflict. And now we're at the brink of, uh, there's a great expectation in Europe that nuclear war is coming. I mean, you know, you have people passing out iodine and retrofitting bomb shelters. This is going, in fact, Moscow, all of Moscow went into bomb shelters last night in anticipation of what's happening. So we see that when this is unleashed, we're going to move backwards very, very quickly. We're going to move away from all of this technology where they thought that they were going to be able to control uh, and otherwise uh, completely orchestrate robotic lives of enslaved people, enslaved to the technology and the AI system called the social credit score and so forth. Instead, they're going to lose all of that. And we're going to quickly descend back from, there's discussion, I think Monty Judith was talking about it yesterday. There is discussion that they're going to be outlawing uh, gas engines. So things like your lawnmower, your rototiller, uh, your uh, wood chipper, your plow, your tractor, all of these things are going to be outlawed because they use gas or diesel. And there will be rationing that's going to be imposed on vehicles because this is offensive to climate change, right? They won't be limiting the aircraft that are spraying chemtrails over us, but they will be limiting other stuff. Dr. So, Pitt. yes. Uh, Heather Gray's trying to get in. Yes, I see her here. I'm trying, trying to get them admitted. Thank you. And uh, at any rate, so what you see with that kind of thing is that we're going to be moving quickly out of this hyper technology and the desires of uh, of these world authoritarians to control 
in a digital techno enslavement, this is going to fail very, very quickly. The high end aspect of that is going to fail very, very quickly. The cell phones are going to fail. The internet is going to fail. The electric grid system is going to fail. And as a consequence, the information age is going to come to an abrupt halt. And those people who have mistakenly become reliant upon uh, GPS locators uh, and other tools of the internet to do the thinking for you are going to find themselves at, uh, under, under a steep learning curve. And the vast majority of the world will fall into illiteracy. So what is coming is a great darkness in the world, great darkness, a dark age that is going to be as dark as it was in the 700s, 800s, 900s, it's going to be that dark again. Remember that when Charlemagne was appointed the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire in 800 AD, he could neither read nor write. He could neither read nor write. And so this is, the, this is where we're going now. Now, as we head in this direction, we should not be fearful, but instead we should look to what the prophecy is of Isaiah. When he says, I, Yahweh, have called you into righteousness, and I will hold your hand, and I will keep you, and give you for a covenant of the people for a light to the other nations. So as we come into this darkness, there will be those of us who are going to be called to be the light to others. Because, you know, when you, when you look at the typical American, the typical American who is one of the least educated people in the world, quite frankly, I mean, they did literally, uh, they did a, a videotape interview in New York City where they put a world map out on a pedestal and they put the map out there and they said, okay, here's the pointer. Show us where Ukraine is. Person after person after person, they pointed to Australia, they were pointed to Canada. They, you know, one person said, oh, this is Ukraine, which was Canada and Greenland here, this is Russia. Now, I mean, I can't believe that a person could be so ignorant that they couldn't pick the largest nation. They couldn't pick out the largest nation in the world. Really? And this is the typical American. I mean, I don't know how many Mark Dice videos I've seen that show the, the ignorance of Americans is beyond belief. I mean, like he did a video, he asked 20 people, who was the nation's capital named after? 20 people. Uh, Lincoln. And the only one that could answer the question was an Italian who happened to be visiting the United States, right? He'd ask people, okay, 4th of July, what are we celebrating? Independence from who? Oh, that was our victory in the Civil War. When did that happen? 1967? You know, I mean, you know, I, just an incredible level of ignorance. And this ignorance, you're going to see this ignorance really uh, multiply here. Because when, once the internet is down, once people can't say, hey, Siri, what's the answer to this question? Right? Once they can't do that, then what? Then what? What do they know? And what do they think? And how can they get around? And so when we're called to be light into that, because what will take place is, what do we do now? Let's just take a scenario for just a moment, which I think is a realistic scenario. That the dollar pancakes to zero. 
it goes right to zero. It has absolutely no value whatsoever. And the stock market goes right to zero. And there's nothing left. There's no free traded stocks anywhere. Retirement accounts are all wiped out. Social security is completely gone. Everything is at a zero, you know, pancake. When we hit that zero, what do you expect to happen inside of government? Well, I can tell you when this happened in the Soviet Union, which we have a, an example of what happened. It happened in the Soviet Union. When that happened, government workers quit working, right? I'm not getting paid. Why am I going into that office? In fact, in many cases, they just closed the offices. So you had professors out of work. You had bureaucrats out of work. You had police officers out of work. You had military people out of work. And then there was suddenly, there was nothing there. There was no KGB. There was no GRU. There was nothing. They were just closed. And so people were forced to fend for themselves. Now, some of the generals would, would take their, you know, you had a military base. They would seize the assets, the means of production in their immediate area. And so all of a sudden, the army were doing things like making matreskas and samovars. Really, seriously. And, but many people were starving. And the question then became, okay, well, there's no government now. There's nothing here. There's nothing. It's gone. We've gone to zero. What do we do now? Now, this is a question. This is a question. And, and in Russia, this was a question for three years before some people came in and said, you have to do this, you have to do this, and you have to do that. And one of the things that really made a difference in Russia was when they came in and said, what you need to do is you need to create alienability in real property to create a gross domestic product. And what did that mean? Well, that meant that all of this collective housing that you have going on, which was Russia was full of collective housing, you need to make them all condos, title those apartments in the name of the people living there, give them title to it, and let them sell it if they want and when they did that, that immediately created a gross domestic product was the alienability, the registration, and the surveying and, and titling of property. Now, of course, we, as the lights in the darkness, need to be able to recommend a path. And the path is what? It's a path of righteousness that comports with the Torah, not with the Talmud not with the Quran, not with the secular humanist ideology, not with the U.S. Constitution, but that comports with the Torah. And if we can do this, and, and the question is, can we do this? Well, you, as a student of the word, have a responsibility. What does it mean to be a king and a priest? Well, to be a priest is to be able to teach and to recite the word, to be able to explain to another what is the teaching of Yahweh. But to be a king is to be a person who can do that, who never says, my pastor said. It has nothing to do with what your pastor said. It has everything to do with what you know. Your responsibility to know your faith is what makes you a king. Your responsibility to know your faith so that you can say, I am sovereign over this word by the blessings of Yah. 
not reliant or dependent upon someone else to tell me what this means. Very important point. And because you're going to be responsible. Breakfast is coming. Yes, what were you going to say, Melissa? You're going to be responsible to be the one to, to say, this is what the Torah says. And what is the Torah? It is all of scripture. It's not just Moshe. It's not just Moshe. It's all of scripture. And so when we come and we come forth and we say, well, how do I handle this? Well, the wisdom of Sirach points us to the teaching in the gospel says, right? We have to be able to look at this, to delineate this, and to be a light to the other nations, okay? Now, he says, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Now, I can tell you, most Americans, as long as they keep their eyes on the opening of a sports game, believe that they live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And you do not live in the land of the free, and you most assuredly do not live in the home of the brave. We were brave back in 1945, I think, when we invaded Normandy. Those young people who jumped out of the front of those boats into open gunfire. But we're not a brave people. We won't stand up to the abuse. For instance, the CDC just said we're going to mandate these tainted snake bites for children in schools. And who's standing up against that? Anyone? No because there's no brave among us. And we're certainly not free. We're free. You live in a community that has red light cameras up. You live in a community that controls every word that comes out of your mouth. You live in a social networking that censors your, your speech, puts you in Facebook jail, right? You live, in, you live in freedom. No, you don't live in freedom. You're completely enslaved to $31 trillion worth of debt enslaved to a fake fiat currency, enslaved to a corrupt government that's full of nothing but perverts, wicked people, telling you what to do, telling you how to think, telling you what you can and can't do, creating laws that don't really exist because they're just reflective of their particular group of perverts in the media and their opinion. You shall not transgress somebody's personal pronoun. Yeah, right. You're free. No, you're not free. And America is not the land of the brave. It is the land of the completely duped and the totally enslaved. And the vast majority of people in the Western world live in prison. You don't think it's a prison, but your your soul is imprisoned. And it's imprisoned in the hands of wicked people in leadership. And it's imprisoned in the brainwashing that goes on out of the media. You're imprisoned in that. This is what you will think. Thou shalt hate your neighbor. Oh, you think they don't teach that? Turn on Fox News. Those liberals, those disgusting liberals, turn on CNN. Those disgusting conservatives, those right-wing white supremacists, turn on, watch them. Hate. Hate, thou shalt hate thy neighbor. 
Because if you don't hate your neighbor, then we can't divide you. If we can't divide you, then we can't use the Hegelian dialectic to control you. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her plagues. So when we try to come out of her, what does this mean? What does it mean to come out of her, right? It, it really means, you know, we have one king, we have one judge, we have one lawmaker. And anyone who purports to lead in your social order and says, I can be your leader. You know, so we've got an election going on here now this year. And of course, it's nothing but the campaign garbage, right? And what, what's the top tenet being preached in the campaigns around here? Well, I support a woman's right to choose. Now, I can tell you that when you look at this woman's right to choose issue, you know, the whole Protestant religion, the breakaway from Catholicism, had to do with getting a divorce. Now, you can say that there were other criticisms that Martin Luther brought to bear, but the main reason that Luther succeeded is because the German oligarchs wanted to be able to get divorced. The main reason Henry VIII broke away from the church is because he wanted to get divorced. And Protestantism rec uh, recognized what they called Christian liberty. And Christian liberty was this thing that had to be advanced at all costs. And so Protestantism came in initially supporting the idea of a divorce that the church would not grant. Now, the church, in my opinion, the Roman church was irrational. Because scripture does provide reasons for divorce, you know, the three A's, adultery, abuse, and abandonment. And there's also another reason, too, which Paul lays out, that if you're married to a non-believer and that non-believer leaves, you are free. You are free. Okay, so there are reasons, scriptural reasons, reasons within the Torah that do provide for a divorce. But Mashiach said it. Moses suffered to give you a certificate of divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. But I tell you the truth, in the beginning, it was not so, right? That man and woman were created to be singular flesh. And the singular flesh created in, in wedlock is a flesh that was intended to exist for the rest of your life. Okay. But from divorce came what? Well, the freedom to fornicate. And you have to remember that this is the primary liberty that nobody wants to talk about, that wants to be protected in the Protestant religion, the freedom to fornicate, which is what abortion is all about. It's the freedom to fornicate. And now, because it's uh, intended to create the freedom to fornicate, then what do we see? We see, well, first it was divorce. Now the fundamental issue in all the Western world is abortion. And in order to protect the freedom to fornicate. Well, when we get to the freedom to fornicate, what does that look like? Well, now it looks like everything, doesn't it? California just passed a law reducing the penalties for pedophilia if, quote, unquote, the child consents. Now, I knew this was coming because they had overthrown consent a long time ago. But you have to remember that there are 18 sexual identities described where? In the Talmud. And so it is Talmudism that 
that it has been advancing the ideas of the qualities of fornication and demanding the supremacy of this ideology. What do you think the rainbow flag is all about? And how is it that that rainbow flag is placed at the same height as the nation's flag or the state's flag or the province's flag? How did that flag get up to fly at the same height? Because it has political superiority. It has political superiority. It has transnational superiority. So with this being said, this issue being in the forefront, and you can say what you want, but you know, the last time I looked, 52% of Christian women in churches voted exclusively on the issue of abortion. A candidate could come out and say, you know, I'm going to steal your property. I'm going to raid your bank account. I'm going to vote for bail-ins. I'm going to crank your taxes three times as high as they are. And I'm going to get us into a war with everybody I can think of. But I'm going to protect your right to abort. Voting for that person. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the condition of the world today. So I look at this stuff and I'm thinking, okay, does anybody at any point say, I am your candidate because I am in subjection to Yah? Which candidate have you heard say that? Because Yah is my king, because Yah is my judge, because Yah is my lawmaker. Oh, I'm sorry. That hasn't come out of the lips of anybody, anywhere at any time, in any election, in the United States or in Britain. So what you're going to see is what you have seen. You're going to see more secular humanism. You're going to see more wickedness, more decay. And all to protect the unbridled right to fornicate, which this unbridled right to fornicate now requires you to allow the pedophiles to go after your children. It now requires you to allow pedophiles to teach first and second grade. It now requires you to allow your children to be taken to drag shows where men in dresses expose themselves to five-year-olds. That's what it requires of you now to protect the right to abort. That's what's required of you to protect the right to abort. Because after all, we're all just protecting the right to fornicate, aren't we? Christian liberty. There's nothing in the Ten Commandments that says thou shalt not fornicate. But there is a teaching that says thou shalt not break wedlock. And Mashiach's teaching is very express. In the beginning, Yah created them, male and female, he created them that the two would be joined together as one flesh. And what Yah has put together, let no man put asunder. And in this concept of one man, one woman marriage comes a robust and abundant society. From this comes a robust and abundant society, a society that is growing, a society that is healthy, a society that is producing. Once you begin to open the door to fornication, you begin to eat your own savings account, right? You begin to run up indebtedness. 
That's what happens. You know, you start living on your credit cards. That's what happens. And the societies can't see it, but we can see it because it's very clear. The society built on abortion and fornication in the United States is now $31 trillion in debt. That's the cash flow debt. We won't talk about the worldwide debt, which is $4 quadrillion, right? Why does the world have this kind of debt? Because the world never learned the word no. A robust society is built upon the word no. Will you do this? No, I won't. You see? So to open the blind eyes, to bring the prisoners up from the prison, and then that sit in darkness out of the prison house? What is the darkness if it's not spiritual darkness? Spiritual darkness. What is the prison if it's not being enslaved to sin? This is it. And so when we as a people, we have to look to this and say, can we find righteousness? This is my question to all those around me, those to the left of me, those to the right of me, those in front of me, those behind me. Can we find righteousness? Because Yah says, I have called you in righteousness. And I will hold your hand. I'll help you walk the path. I will keep you. And I will give you a covenant. He did give us a covenant. He gave us the 10 Devarim. This is my covenant, the 10 Devarim. Do these or else. That's all that it says. Do these and live in them. Live in them. And this is how we live. And this is the point. That we, this is what we have to point to. When we, when we light our menorah and put it in our window and somebody comes to, them, comes to your house and says, what is that menorah? What's it doing here? And what is your light all about? And you're going to say to them, well, do you know Jesus? You need to come down to my church and be baptized and get on a regular tithing schedule. And then you too can have salvation. Really? Uh. Oh, there is something to be said for baptism. Don't get me wrong. But the truth, but the truth of the matter is, is that you're called out of Babylon and you're called into righteousness. And so the question is, what then is righteousness? Well, it's like we used to say in the music world, right? There's one rule in music that every musician has to know. Play the right note and don't play the wrong note. Okay? That's like the first rule of music, right? Now you have a similar thing in the first rule in theology. Do the right thing and don't do the wrong thing. It's a very simple rule. Do the right thing and don't do the wrong thing. Is there a right thing? I thought we had Christian liberty to do what thou wilt. That's been the teaching. And you know what boggles my mind? I got to tell you, you know what boggles my mind about this? Is that, you know, I get flack all the time. The sephir is this. The sephir is that. Burn the sephir. Don't ever buy the sephir. Blah, 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 blah. You know, worst translation on earth. And I mean, I've, I've seen the videos. But nobody says a word about the NIV. Nobody says a word about the Westcott and Hort. You know, the Westcott and Hort foundational text was based upon the forged Codex Sinaiticus for the New Testament and the corrupted Codex Vaticanus for the Old Testament. That's what they used to build that text. 
And that is the, the underlying text for the NIV, for the ESV, for the NKJV, for the ASB, for the NASB. I don't know what version of scripture you're using, but that was the underlying text for all of those. The NIV is the most popular Bible in the world and is the Bible that all these pastors pick up and say, this is the inerrant word of God. When it has deleted the deuterocanonical books that were found in all the early English translations, when it has at least 3,000 omissions from the New Testament alone, right? Nobody says one bad word about the NIV. Nobody says one bad word about the ESV. Oh, no, those are all approved texts. And what do they teach? These redacted, deleted books. Do what thou wilt. And what is the teaching out of the Christian church? You have Christian liberty. Well, do you have Christian liberty? Or is your Christian liberty now being used as a blackmail device against you? And if it can be used as a blackmail device against you, then it's sin, isn't it? It's sin. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to be blackmailed into it. Well, you can have abortion only if we can molest your children. Hmm? Yeah. I am Yahweh. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare, that they spring forth. I tell you of them. Sing unto Yahweh a new song. And his praise from the end of the earth, ye that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. This is a direct instruction to those people in the aisles. Sing a new song and his praise from the end of the earth, those who are inhabiting the aisles. Let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice. The villages that Kadar inhabits, let the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto Yahweh. And declare his praise in the islands. Yahweh shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. I have a long time held my peace. I have been still and refrained myself. Now will I cry like a travailing woman. I will destroy and devour at once. I will make waste mountains and hills and dry up all their herbs. I will make the rivers islands. I will dry up the pools. Is that going on right now? Most assuredly. And I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed that trust in graven images, that say to molten images, you are our Elohim. You know, that big statue of Mary over the altar. 
Hear ye deaf, and look ye blind, that ye may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger that I sent? Who is as blind as he that is perfect, as bl and blind as Yahweh's servant? Seeing many things, but you observe not. Opening the ears, but he hears not. Yahweh is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the Torah and make it honorable. But this is a people robbed and spoiled. You know, you have been robbed and spoiled. You have been so robbed, you can't even imagine how robbed you've been. You know, real income in the United States has not increased one cent since 1973, the day the petrodollar was introduced. You might be getting more money in terms of the number count, but your real income has not increased one cent, not one red cent. And all your wealth has been completely stolen from you by the depreciation of a fiat currency. You've been robbed and spoiled, and they are all of them that snared in holes. They are hidden in prison houses. They are a prey, and none delivers for a spoil, and none says restore. Who's saying restore right now in the country? No one. Instead, you have unbridled chaos at the top level, and there's nobody even talking about the chaos. Or we're going to go into nuclear war. Is anybody saying, hey, that's a bad idea? Not a single person. There's not a single person that says, you, we, we probably shouldn't go into nuclear war. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will hearken and hear for the time to come? Who gave Yaakov for a spoil and Yasharel to the robbers? Did not Yahweh, he against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient to his Torah. Therefore, he has poured upon him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle, and it has set him on fire round about, yet he knew not. Why is stuff falling apart? Gee, I don't know. How come the Mississippi's dried up? I've got no idea. Why did our wheat crops fail? I don't know. Why is there a drought all over the place? I don't know. Why is water running out of the Colorado River in California drying up? I don't have any idea. Why are there forest fires all over Oregon and Washington to the point that you can't even see downtown? I have no idea. Why is our financial system in total in flames and crashing and burning? Gee, I don't know. Just a series of random events. No, it's not a series of random events. He knew not. We know not. And it is burning us. And yet, we lay none of it to heart. That couldn't be the hand of Yah. Oh, no, that's just coincidence. That's just a long frequency wave of human behavior. But now, thus says Yahweh that created you, O Yaakov, and he that formed you, O Yasharel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. For I am Yahweh Eloheka, the Holy One of Yasharel, your Savior, 
I gave Mitzrayim for your ransom, Cush, and Seba for you. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honorable, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your seed from the east. I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say it is truth. Ye are my witnesses, Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no elf formed, neither shall there be after me. We have a very strong statement concerning the creator and his will. And in that strong statement comes a command to find righteousness and to obey his voice. That's what the call is, to find righteousness and to obey his voice. And in that, what? We will be the light to the other nations. And that's where we are today. Okay? Let us have eyes that can see and ears that can hear. And to correlate the will of Yah in the events that we see before us. It is not like Yah doesn't know what's going on. He knows exactly what's going on. You know, somebody, Dale, said the other day that when you look at what's happening in the United States, Joe Biden, who I do not believe cares for Yao one little bit, has been the functioning working hand of Yao entirely. He has burned down so many idols in this country and so many high places. And he thinks that he's doing his own will as he destroys the idolatry in the American medical profession. He destroys the idolatry of science by putting nothing but corrupt scientists in front of us. He destroys the idolatry of the American school system by making it a, uh, a snare and a trap for perverts. He has destroyed the idolatry in the dollar by completely destroying the dollar. He's destroyed the idolatry of the, of the military system in this country by making it totally corrupted and enslaved. There, there is nothing worshipped in this country that Joe Biden has not systemically destroyed, defaced, defamed, burned to the ground, and wiped out. He thinks that he's doing this in opposition to Yah, but he's not. He is the working sledgehammer of Yah in the United States. I mean, that's what he is. And so again, as, as we see this darkness arise, we as a people must be able to say to the blind, look and see, ye who have eyes that cannot see, open your eyes and see what the hand of Yah has done. 
open your ears and hear what the voice of Yah has said, and be it known, and be ye those who have come out of Babylon and who are called by the name Yahweh. Okay. Let's go ahead and take some other comments besides from me, right? Okay, Catherine, go ahead. Did you have a question here this morning? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like to start out um, reading out of the Torah portion, kind of right where you left off. Um, bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled who among them can declare this and show us former things. Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say, it is truth. Ye are my witnesses, says Yahweh, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no L formed, neither shall there be after me. I was just, um, thanks for portraying the picture and painting it for us this morning. And, you know, we're all living in such a time that um, requires our eyes to be turned to the hills where our help comes from. And um, I just mainly wanted to testify and be a witness. Yahweh is faithful in all things. Um, and I'm sure that we all gathered here have that same testimony in common. So I just, there's a couple, I do want to ask a question in just a minute. Um, some of the key words for that are, are the darkness and the light. And uh, anyway, I want to give my testimony, my my, my youngest son has been incarcerated, I mean, literally enslaved, and walking through this has caused me to look at the form of enslavement that is common roundabout, even amongst us, and that walking out of the program that they have forced upon us uh, has really made me look deeper at all the lies that we've been told all the way back at least 70 years. You know, even my grand, my grandmother, and, and I've just turned 67, but my grandmother from the time she was a small child was under the, you know, programming that we're seeing the manifestation of before us. So uh, anyway, uh, Yahweh is faithful. So my, my son is actually, being released on um, October 31st. So that's just a testament to the faithfulness of Yahweh. Um, it's, as you're speaking, and it feels like we're getting so close to the internet and all that being shut down, which is gonna cause us to be on one hand removed from where we're getting support right now. 
and where we've been getting support for the number of years. I know it's been, it's probably been seven years since I've been required to remove myself from um, churchianity. Anyway, um, I'm reading my tour portion and I've been uh, a couple of, a couple of years I've had this book and and it's just I find it's just a building up of the body and building us together on a common ground to go through these teachings that on you a common do. ground yeah, yeah. that's a great word yeah <clears throat> and I'm just it, I'm just in total awe of watching how the faithfulness of Yahweh's manifesting in my own life and how he's because we you we call him by name and he calls us by name. And I believe that we're being called to return in our relationship with Yahweh to walk that whole ghost of the fruit off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we were never supposed to eat, yet it's a steady diet of it all around us. Oh, yeah, a steady diet. Isn't that the truth of it? I mean, that's a good word. It is a steady diet. And, so, and in um, fact, there's nothing but that fruit being served. You know, when you go to the grocery store, that's the fruit that's on the shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, yeah, yeah. So when we're eating something that they call food that's not really meant for our consumption, <laughs> be it a GMO or the or, fruit or off insects. the wrong tree. You know, or insects, right? They're, they're serving poisonous insects now, you know, and they're saying this is food. And of course, and you don't know, right? I mean, like for instance, you buy a product, you think, oh, this product is okay. And then you find out that natural flavoring, what they're calling natural flavoring in the product is actually aborted fetal tissue. Exactly. And it's like, exactly. Well, maybe, maybe I don't want to engage in cannibalism, right? Maybe that's- Exactly. But you know, it's not up to you. It's up to some, uh, some um, you know, uh, some transgendered person who is now at the reins of government making the decision. So, you know, uh, and I appreciate that, Catherine. I do appreciate your testimony. I'm happy to hear that your son is getting out. Them that it's going to taste better with answers, right? They can run it. Something's yeah, been mean, held. Yeah, or yeah. for, for lab-grown meat, right? That's another one they're trying to do is lab-grown meat. You know, why do these people? Yeah, yeah. Why can't they just live a natural way of life? You know, I don't understand yeah. it. But anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go, Catherine. But thank you for that test. Well, I want to ask you. I want to ask a couple of words that were in the Torah portion. The life because it Yahweh said darkness between Yashra and Mitzrayim when they were coming to the Red Sea to overtake them. That word dark, and then it says in today that that darkness will be turned to. And I think it's um, just wondering how how you see that manifesting around us. You know, as, as we get disconnected, that um, well, it's the darkness be is going to be an intense darkness. I mean, when you're talking about darkness, the darkness that is given to us is. Uh, there, there is no light is really the light of the word 
And so the darkness is going to become a situation where you're not going to hear the word of Yah. I mean, this is also the famine that is going to be here. Famine of the word. Famine of the word in the darkness. And of course, if the CCP, if the Chinese Communist Party becomes the dominant political force in the world, they will ban scripture. It will be made illegal. And, you know, you'll be tossed into prison if you have a copy of scripture. And, you know, you'll be, you know, you'll be imprisoned. It will be spiritual darkness. It will be complete darkness. And uh, so this darkness may yet be coming. But um, that's what, you know, the people that sit in darkness, them that sit in the sit in darkness, right? This is out of Isaiah 42.7. So let's drop into Esword here and let's see what we can find. We'll go into Isaiah. We're going to Isaiah 42, and we'll drop down to verse 7, and we'll see what our word for darkness is. Okay? Yes. house, blah, 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 prison. Okay, I think I already went by it. Yeah, Shab, let's see. Just a minute. Yeah, it's uh, to bring out. No. Blind. Okay, there's the blind people. But where is the darkness? An eye, that's an eye, yeah. I got to open the blind. Let's see, the prisoner, by in the house. Okay, okay, Yashav. Koshek, yeah. That would be right. Koshek for darkness, like night. Misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness, darkness, right? Any of those words for this word, choshech, choshech. So that's the word that we're talking about. And, you know, can we bring people out of that? Well, yes, we're going to. That's what's going to happen. Okay. There was all, I think it says it, 5990. And it was in, it's on 476 of the Torah. And it's out of. Uh, uh, and only time let's see it's P-H-E-L and it's used only one time to um, you do the search for Strong's and so I find that very interesting because that's the word that's used by Yasha when, when telling about the testimonies out of uh, Mitzrayim, it says that he put darkness in Yashrael and Mitzrayim. So that's, anyway, thank you so much. Okay, I appreciate where you're coming from on this, Catherine. Yeah, it's a, a but, the, but the darkness that's talked about in the Isaiah passage is Choshek, Choshek, which mm -hmm. is, you know, a, a spiritual darkness. Okay. Okay. Chris, let's go to you, brother. How are you? Yeah, shalom, Dr. P, and everybody else. And maybe, maybe what I can do is just add to that. I don't know if, if, if I'll bless anybody or not. I hope I will. <laughs> uh, but we were blessed today with your Torah portion. Well, the, with the Torah portion. Um, I'm a bit disappointed that it didn't start from the beginning of um, 42 of Isaiah. I don't know why it starts at, at 5, because 1 to 4 is like, really powerful but anyway besides that point 
Um, if we start in Bereshit and, and with the verse that you've uh, studied um, so extensively, <coughs> verse 1, we obviously know that that's got seven Hebrew words. Bereshit bara Elohim et, et being the fourth, Hashimayim uh, et being again the uh, sixth, Ha'ertz. Uh, which is the seventh, um, and if you if you keep that in mind, you got the seven days of creation, and the darkness and the light is on the first day of creation, and he separates them and he calls the one day and the one night. But that's not the day and night that we see, right? Because the day and the night that was created was actually ignorance and knowledge or revelation of him. I think maybe maybe more specific. If you walk in the light, in other words, if you walk in the revelation of him, you will not walk in the, in the, in the darkness. And uh, a verse that comes to mind is Matthew 6, 23, where we ignore the light of Yahweh and we walk in our own ways. And walk in darkness, yeah. So I, I don't know if my, my internet is not great at the moment because we've got a little bit of a storm brewing and I don't think they've pumped us with enough iron in the, in the sky. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway... So if, no, if it's what you're saying, Chris, I mean, what you're saying is right. I mean, when you talk about when you talk about let there be light, right? We know that the let there be light is not really the best way to say yahi or, right? Because the phrase in Hebrew yahi or the yahi or, and yes. so when you see that, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, what is the whole concept of that? And we're told, well, that's light. Well, maybe it's light. You know, it, it's the first time we see these words. Here's or, and yeah. we're telling you that's light. Well, maybe it's light. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's photons. Maybe it's energy. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it maybe is ignorance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, all of these things could be there uh, into the darkness. This could be because remember that this, even this word Bereshith, Bereshith, right? The very first word in Genesis, Bereshith, may or may not be Bereshith. Okay. Yes. It could be yes. Roshot. Roshot. Now, if it's Roshot, you know, ba roshot in the minds. Right. 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 In the minds, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Right. Yeah. And you know that that adds to the point of ignorance, right? Because he says, seek me with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your understanding, and you shall find me. So what is that seeking? Seek after Elohim's righteousness. Where do you find that in the Torah? Yeah. Right? So yeah. that's why we read from 42 verse 1 this morning. Because in verse 4, it talks about the Torah of Yahweh being the righteousness of Yahweh. I think... Uh, well, uh, let, let me read it for just a second, Chris. Chris, let me read it for just yes. a second. Okay, so these are the first four verses omitted in the Torah portion. And I think part of this was omitted in the Torah portion because those who do the Torah portion do not want the messianic prophecy that is here to appear, right? Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, 
in whom my soul delights. I have put my ruach upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the other nations. Mm. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he hath set up judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his Torah. Amen. Amen. So you see here, you see the Torah or rather he brings forth judgment, right? So others will say, I bring forth judgment. And that holds there, it holds, it holds a power in their hands, right? Mm -hmm. But Yah says, no, no, he will bring forth the judgment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, here you go. I'm your judge, says man, right? right. Oh, I'm a Supreme Court judge, says Coney Barrett, or says John Roberts, or whoever. I am your judge. I am the final decision maker. I am your judge. Well, right. since you're the final decision maker, then you can wear responsibility for all the destruction that Yah brings to your land. Right. Because you decided to be the judge instead of allowing Yah to be the judge. Exactly. So if we go back to Genesis 1, we've got the seven words of creation. And if you, if you draw them back into the 7,000 years of earth, then you see that the first et is in the 4,000th year, which is when Yahusha appeared in the end of the 4,000th year. And then he appears once again in the 6,000th year. And he brings the culmination between Haaretz and earth. Now, if you see the darkness that was created in the first day, the first, the, the fourth day, which is the, which is the et, the first et, is when he, cre uh, the third, well, okay, let's just first go back to the, to the darkness. The darkness and light were there, but the, 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 the sun and the moon were only created on the um, blessed night should be the night, and it was on the fourth day, right? But then he said in verse 20, and this is something that popped out, and I've never ever read it this way, and, and, and I, I, forgive me if, I, if I'm boring you, but this is, this is interesting to me. It says, and Elohim said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life, and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open expanse of heaven. And Elohim, 21, created the great sea monsters, uh, it says dragons and other in, in your later one, and every living creature that moves, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. But back to John 4, where he's talking to the woman of the well, it kind of makes sense because he says, I will give you waters. What is that? Living waters that you thirst no more. So who is the waters? Those waters. I'm talking about those waters. It's Yahusha himself. It's the living water. And if you look 
um, I don't have my phone on now anyway, but um, if you look up living waters, there's two passages in Zechariah that actually sort of uh, complement this that I'm saying. But that's kind of weird to me. I, I, I've never seen that. Um, and that, oh, that's an interesting passage, Chris. And you know what's, what's interesting about it is that when you delve into Genesis 1 in the respect of the way you're going, you're going to find many, many mysteries that are there. And there have been many scientists, including Einstein and others, that have looked to Genesis to try to find the creation narrative. Even Stephen Hawking was looking at Genesis, trying to find the creation narrative, trying to find the beginning. Mm. And in all of that, when you see, you know, at the heavens, at Hashemaim, they at Haretz, they're in, in Genesis 1.1, you can see that the work of Mashiach in the first advent, if you will, was to reconcile heaven, reconcile it in the creation. This is why he said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Amen. Right? My kingdom is not of this world because his reconciliation was reconciliation in heaven. But the second reconciliation is going to be the reconciliation on earth. Amen. Be'et harads. And this has, you know, I have an expectancy that this is going to take place at the end of 6,000 years. And we're, we've reached that end of 6,000 years. We're here now. Yes. And I mean, not exactly, because I mean, if you count from his death, which I believe occurred in 28 BC, that we're looking at a few more years, right? But if you, if you look at some of the prophets and some of the signs in the heavens, you know, you look at it and you see, and some of the signs in the heavens are pretty acute because, number one, we, we have entered into this period that's described in Revelation 12, Revelation 12 sign which began in 2017, and we've had a seven-year period, not exactly seven years, but seven prophetic years, that is to say seven 360-day years that have mounted up. And at the end of that, when we get into April 2024, when that seven-year period expires, we're going to see this mark, you know, this mark in the heavens again, another uh, solar eclipse coming over the United States marking... Uh, X marks the spot, if you will. And from that point forward, we may very likely enter into the hard tribulation of three and a half years. And if this, if that is the case, that would begin in the spring feasts of 2024 and would continue for three and a half years. So you would have the half year taking you to the fall feast of 2024. And then you would have three years of tribulation taking you into 2025, 2026, 2027, leading to the return of the Son of Man exactly 6,000 years, you know, 2,000 years after his death. And, um, you know, all of these are, you know, setting numbers, about most of which we're unsure. Um, but what we can see, though, is that in all of this stuff, there's much more symbology in the heavens than we know. Genesis 1.14, I've given you the lesser light, the greater light, and the stars also right. for signs, for signs, right? And then when you look at the signs that are given in, um, in Revelation, I mean, here's another sign that most people are unaware of. The seven churches that are in the first two books of Revelation, two and three, 
Yeah. Those seven churches, when you plot, you can go to Turkey right now and you can plot out those churches, right? The ruins are still there. They're still evident. Right. When you plot those out on a map, they plot out exactly a geographic expression of the seven stars of the Pleiades. That's right. I mean, it's virtually exact, right? I and mean, you can transpose one right on top of the other. So here you have yet another sign in Revelation saying, we're going to take the stars also, the Maserot, and we're going to give you an implication here on Earth. I mean, if you ever ask, you ever ask yourself the question, why aren't you talking about the church in Jerusalem? Why aren't you talking about the church in Alexandria? Why aren't you talking about the church in Antioch? Why aren't you talking about the church in Cappadocia? Why aren't you talking about the church in Corinth? Why are you talking about these churches? Right? Mm. What is this that these churches are the ones to get singled, uh, singled out? In the book of Revelation, there's a reason. And it's because of that correlation with the Pleiades, right? Mm. And giving you a symbol and a sign of what's taking place there. And we know also that the Pleiades, you know, which is a very distant um, constellation in the heavens. When you look at the Pleiades, they're much more distant than the other constellations we have in our face. You know, the the um, the pyramids of Giza are lined up with those, right? Right. And so we have, you know, so we just have some very interesting equations about which we do not know. And this is why the study in the Genesis 1-1, if we could embark on a study on Genesis 1, and we could be here for months literally months talking about the nuances of what is the water because you're asking the question when you look at the word for heaven shaman right which literally means the waters of salvation as compared to mine just waters so the shaman is divided from the mine the waters of salvation are divided from the other waters right, right. and even this has an implication of this idea of the father and the son Right? right, that implication is implied. The the correlation with John one one, which of course is is the Bessarab portion at this point. The light shines through the darkness. The darkness does not understand it. This too is this symbology of let there be light, or better yet, I am light. I was light. I am light. I will be light. I mean, that's what's really being said there in Yahi Or. And this light, so you have this idea of consubstantiality. The light is present with the Father in the beginning, in the beginning of existence. But what's critical about all of this is that all of it begins with the word in the beginning, which means there's a starting point, which means there's an ending point, right? In the beginning, there's a starting point and there's an ending point. But there is no beginning to Yah. There is no end to Yah. There's a beginning and ending to creation, but not to creation. Yeah. You know, and so this, this is the reason why the implications in Genesis 1-1 are just phenomenal. And uh, yeah. and the layout, the fact that it's seven words, setting forth the sevenfold doctrine of his whole creation, also sets out his sevenfold nature. A sevenfold nature that he would express with a sevenfold oath. Right? When he swears seven times to Noah, I will not flood the earth again. And then that is expressed with the seven colors of a rainbow given in the heavens. Right? Because his character is a sevenfold character. Hallelujah. Because in that sevenfold character, we have a seventh day that calls us to rest. Right? Which is a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. And so, you know, so yeah, I mean, I, I do appreciate that, Chris, when we, we start, again, when we start talking about Genesis 1, 
I would encourage anybody who's a student of scripture who spends a lot of time with that passage, because you're going to find that, um, you know, if you, if you release yourself from the idea that, that this is not metaphorical or metaphysical language, but rather literal language. Yeah. Uh, you know, because then you're going to be looking for a lampshade for the light that was created in Genesis one, three, right? Yeah. There is no lampshade, you know, and, and, you have to let go of the, the literal stuff and you have to start looking and recognize one of the most important things to recognize is that the Hebrew scribes at best, I mean, they did a lot of work for sure, but at best they're guessing. Yeah. And they know they're guessing. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not up to us to sit here and criticize them, but if there's going to be guessing, we have a right to do our own guessing as well, you know. Well, That's maybe right. that maybe that isn't what that said, right? Well, you know, I, I've been I've been listening to this new Mashiach that 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 they trying to hail as Mashiach, and um, and I've been listening to some of the some of the talks that he gives. And I mean, really, it's like, I, I can't see it. I can't see that they are in these, uh, the, um, the, the, the Babylonian scriptures so well, they are saying, well, he's the next Mashiach. But the revelation that comes is not, is, it's not exciting to me. It's really mundane at best. Um, <laughs> So look, I mean, I, I mean, I know that maybe I'm being too critical, but okay, let, let me rather go to what, what I what I understand, um, because in that Isaiah uh, scripture, it, it talks about from the Torah, which you just read, uh, in, in 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 verse six, it says for a light to the other nations. So it says, uh, I have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you and give you for a covenant for the people for a light. Of the other nation, well, that's obviously obviously the Mashiach, right? He is our light to open the blind eyes to bring them. But we will walk in his paths if we seek him, because we know his name. And 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 um, uh, eleven, it says, uh, let the wilderness and the cities there voice the villages that have let well there we've got a rock as well which brought forth water right i mean yeah. to, to moshe yeah so you know yeah. we, we we're talking about the same kind of water right um, the, the the living water um which is sustenance just not only for your flesh but it's sustenance for your soul and i think that's more important um, and then you you see up the dried up pools right later, because um, the 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 water that is from the pools is not sustenance for your soul. And I mean that's what he talked about with the woman in the well, which she couldn't understand, but he gave her this superior knowledge of the true water, the living water. Um, and that's what as a believer we after we after this living water because. Man cannot live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of Yah. And I think, uh, um, you know, that's, that's part of it. 
And then when we come to our own uh, witness, uh, as you were talking about in, in the latter days, I mean, I love that. I love that um, last video you, you made of, uh, of Anki. That was beautiful. But uh, the scripture that you gave there was absolutely glorious. The one in Devarim 4, where it says, in the latter days, I mean, in the latter days, he will look after you and he will not destroy you. He will be your covering. He will guide you. He will be your, your uh, I'm paraphrasing. But I mean, he will be everything that you need in the latter days if you seek him. So don't deny this light, this, this revelation light. Uh, seek it with everything that you have because that is actually uh, our, our grace uh, that he gives us, right? Um, I, I just wanted to read one little last part, and that's in Yehukunen, the first, the first chapter. Um, it says in verse 12, But as many as received him to him, to them they, he gave power to become the sons of Yahweh, even to them that believe on his name. And my point is that the witness of John was a witness given to him by Yahweh to be the witness. It's exactly the same thing as us in the latter days. Hopefully, we rise up as witnesses unto him, but not in our own strength and power, but in his strength and power. Because we cannot, it says further in 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of Yahweh. I mean, you know, that's just encouragement for everyone, you know, is, is, is seek him with everything because the days are numbered. I mean, each one of us sitting here today had this urgency in our hearts that this is latter days. We, we really don't have much time. And it's we really don't. We don't know. I mean, you know, we just recently lost our friend, Ross Broadstock, you know, who was 56 years old. And here we were climbing mountains together three weeks ago, and then suddenly he's gone, you know. And so we do not know the number of our days, yep. but we do know this. We do know that whatever is Yah's intention, Yah blesses, Yah gives, Yah takes away. Blessed be his name. And we know, Chris, that, you know, this, the, the pleasures of Yah in the latter days are intense. We're going to see many things, but his cover will be with us. His cover mm -hmm. will be with us. And and with and with his cover being with us, I mean, so what are we called to do? Are we called to sit around waiting for the rapture? No. And this is what's so important about this passage here in the Haftarah today. We are called to prepare our light. We're called to prepare our light. You don't want to be somebody who's got the light in the window, then somebody knocks on the door and says, hey, what's the light all about? Uh, I don't know. Somebody yeah. told me to set up a light, and so I did. Well, you don't have anything yeah. to say other than that. Uh, well, my pastor said I should put it in the window. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah. that is that is not the call to righteousness. No. Well, Chris, listen, listen, brother. I'm gonna I'm gonna run because yeah, blessings start blessing everybody. You got it. You got a little bit of a bandwidth this you're going on there, right? But but thank you, Chris. Thanks for your contribution. I always appreciate it, brother. Okay, Brian. Shalom, Mom. My question oh. is, 
my question is, is in Daniel 8.14, and actually I have three questions. One is, I'm looking at the Strong's number H505. It's mentioned also in Daniel 12.11 and 12.12, and it's a number. And in Daniel 12 and 11, it comes up as 1,000. But in Daniel 8, 14, it comes up as 2,000. That's the first question. Second question is, is this talking about days or is it talking about morning and evening, which would be half the days? You had to cut that in half. Uh, and the third, and then the third question would be, do you think this has already happened or do you think this is a future event? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know. Of course, when you bring up Daniel, that always brings up a loaded question. But let's go into 814 here and let's take a look and see what we can find. Okay. Okay, so we'll share a little e-sort here. Daniel 8. We're going to 814, right? So what we see here is you know, Vayamar, Vayamar, Al E, right? Okay, Al E Aid. So again, the witness, right? Erev, okay, the day, okay, so Erev, that's dusk, and Volker in the morning, right? Erev, Volker. Okay, Correct. so, and there's no Vav here between the two of them, right? There's Correct. kind of nothing connecting. And then you see Elef, right? And so Elef, again, this is saying, oh, this means a thousand. But in this case, if you look, you'll see that the word there is elefim. You see that? If you look at, if you look at this word here, so you have the idea of the aleph. So we have the aleph here, and the aleph is going to be here like with the pay. Aleph, but in this case, we have the plural. Okay. So alephim. So this means, you know, more than one. Okay. And so is it two? Could be. Uh, it could be two. It could be three. It could be a half a dozen. Okay. But so some back said, to, Okay. It, yeah, so, it's going back to the same argument I have with times, times, and half a time. It, the who, who decided to put the S on the second times, right? And it, they did it and asked how many times is it? Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, these, these are big questions. And I can tell you, too, when you look at that, when you look at that aspect of it, um, in particular, when you're talking about Daniel, this becomes a real issue because Daniel was written in Aramaic. Okay. Daniel was written in Aramaic. And because of that, we get, you know, kind of weird stuff. Um, like in, in uh, Daniel 9, for instance, right? Let's take a look at Daniel 9 for a second. I'll show what I mean. And, and you're, I mean, you're raising a really good question here. Let me close that here. Let's go into Daniel 9. And in Daniel 9, when we get into 9.24, you know, 70 weeks, right, are determined for your people. Right? That's mm -hmm. how it's translated. But when you look at it, what do you see in Daniel 9? You see, okay, Shevim, right? Shevayim. Shevaim, twice. Shevaim, Shevaim, twice. And but somebody says, well, you can't have 70 70s. Uh, it has to be, and and so this technically could be when you talk about Shevim, I mean, when you look at the word, right, 
then this technically would be a, a straightforward translation is sevens, sevens, right? But somebody applied a rule of translation says, well, when the word is there twice, then it means something else, mm -hmm. right? But you have, you have the word Sheva, and then uh, if you look at that, hold on. If you look at Sheva, you'll see here it says what? Okay, well, they say, well, this is Shavua. Well, no, it isn't. The word there is Shevim, right? Mm -hmm. Shevaim. Okay, now this says, well, this is the passive participle of what? Shabbat. Now, Shabbat is what? Probably to be complete, but used only as a denominative. That is to seven oneself, right? So this Shabbat is the word that we use for he swore seven oaths to seven oneself. That is to swear as if by repeating a declaration seven times, to adjure, to charge, to give an oath, to swear seven oaths. That's what Shabbat means, to swear seven oaths, right? And so this is something from that as a denominative also of Sheba, which is the cardinal number seven. So you've got, so when you look at what's written here in, in, uh, in the Aramaic here, you've got some choices. What is he talking about? Is he talking about seven oaths, seven oaths? Or is he talking about sevens, sevens? Or is he talking about 70? Well, some people have said, oh, well, sevens, that means 70. Does it or does it mean 49? You know what I'm saying? And so, so when you look at this passage, when you look at this passage, this is one of the one of the great difficulties about looking at Daniel. I mean, I spent a lot of time with this passage, Daniel 9, 24 through 9, 27. Because, you know, you can look at this and say, well, well gee, that means this. Well, like, gee, that must mean that. It means this. It means that. It means the other thing. Ultimately, we concluded that we were going to go with 70 weeks, right? Because, because sevens would mean weeks, right? But you know, uh, in particular, you know, Brian, that when you talk about a week, you're talking about this formula that goes into jubilees, right? Correct. So this could actually mean, you know, when you talk about Shavuah, they're saying, well, this comes from Shavuah. Well, this could mean jubilee, right? Correct. Right. Jubilee, jubilee, right? Mm -hmm. Right. It could mean, it could, it could mean that. Uh, so uh, this is why any, any of the calculations that you're doing in Daniel uh, become really difficult because uh, it's very easy to get a bad interpretation, mm -hmm. bad translation of these passages. And then from that, people are going to extrapolate and say, well, that really meant, you know, like in the 2,360 days, some people say, well, that's days and nights. Go ahead. Question. No, uh, well, the, so the, the word appears in Daniel 12, 11 and 12, 12 is the same plural then. Uh, what's the what's the verse again? Uh, 12, 11 or 12, 12. They're both the same there um, in Daniel 12, 11, 12, 12. Is that both still plural? Because well, it's, it's being used as singular. A 1211. 505. Yeah. Strong's 505 there. Yeah, 505. Now, see, in this case, it's singular. See, it's Aleph. You see it? It's well, just Aleph. It looks, I don't know much about Hebrew. It looks the same to me when I look on the two words. So well, here's what here's what the difference is. Uh hold on. Uh, let me let me let me share it here because I forgot to share it. <laughs> okay, let's share that. I typed it in. 
when I copied and pasted it into a Hebrew translator, the one in Daniel came up as a thousand. The other two came up as a thousand. Well, that's what confused me. So Yeah, well, here's why. Because if you look at this here in the passage, you'll see that this is just Aleph. Okay. And again, here in 1212, it's just Aleph. And so when you see that, so, so the word is being written here, Aleph, Lamed. Okay, can you see that? And then uh, Pei Sophie, right? Pei Sophie. So this is just Aleph. But when you go back and you look at the word in 814, right? It was 814? Correct. When you go back and you look at the word in 814, you will see that the word there is hold on the people still entering here hold on you see that the word here is not just aleph but rather is alephim okay okay now the difference is that this is plural even okay. it's just the same strong's number so it's okay. 8505. Okay, well, that's strong, you know, fitting your shoe, fitting your foot into a one size shoe. Uh, okay. Exactly. But here the difference is instead of it just being Aleph like this, which, you know, again, it would use the pace of feet, instead of it being just Aleph like this, which means a thousand, rather this becomes multiple, um, many. A plural, oh, masculine yeah. plural, which means thousands. Okay. Right. So, right. So now, do you think do you think this is talking about morning and evening oblations, which is, you had to cut that number in half, or do you think it's talking about, you know, days? Well, there are people who I mean, uh, the JWs cut it in half. They cut it in half. They say, well, it's you know, half of it is evening and half of it is morning. Well, I don't. I I disagree with that. I think it, it means days, and the days okay. are the full length of days because when you look at the when you look at Genesis one. It says the Arab and the Boker were the first day. That's how it's used in Genesis 1. And here you see Arab and Boker being tied together. So right. I would right. say that that is the implication is, is that and when, when he's saying Arab and Boker, the implication is he's actually talking days, not a configuration of day equals a year. That may okay. be something different as well, too. Okay. Oh, yeah. Good question, though, Brian. That's a good question. And that's the kind of well, research. Like when you look at Daniel, you have to go through that kind of stuff to see what's there, because I'm telling you, right. the right. Arabic is very obscure. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and so as a result, it, it tends to be ambiguous, particularly in Daniel, it's ambiguous. Right. So in, in the Brenton, which now my understanding, the Brenton is from the Septuagint and the Septuagint is from the Masoretic text. Is that correct? So the Brenton is not in, as accurate as the Masoretic text because they have it. Daniel 8, 14 is 2,400 days and not 2,300. So I don't know. I, I, I normally lean towards the Masoretic text. Is that correct? Way to go. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, you're, you know, again, you're, you're, awesome. you're asking a question that is just going to, you know, crack open a nut here because I'll tell you. The Masoretic text is downstream, way downstream. Masoretic text was developed in the 8th century. The Septuagint was developed in the 3rd century. But there were underlying Hebrew texts from which the Septuagint was gleaned. Where are those texts? Most of them have been destroyed, burned. Rome burned them all, as many right. as they possibly could. Right. So we have some, the, the only extant copy that we have that is worth talking about 
is the copies that were found at the Dead Sea. So the copies of Damascus, Qumran. And so you have to, you know, you have to reference, if you want the best text you can find, you have to reference at the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're the best. That's the best you can find. But you've got to remember that of the three copies of Isaiah found at the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's discrepancies between the three. Okay? Something to keep in mind, but the Dead Sea Scrolls were one of five extant copies that were maintained. Rome mm. burned everything they could find. Rome mm. burned everything they could find in order to rewrite history. I mean, don't you just love Rome? I mean, they've done everybody a real favor, these guys, mm -hmm. in the world we have today. Yee. Yeah, so, but the Septuagint is really, has got a notorious reputation for corruption, okay? <clears throat> Even though it has a real genesis in history, but it's been so corrupted. <clears throat> Even Origen had problems with it in his Hexapla. Mm. And after he set forth the Hexapla, the church said, we don't like that, and they burned it. Mm -hmm. And then they recreated the Septuagint later, right? From their own sources. Right. Okay. So I'm going to run. I'm going to run, Brian. We got a lot of people wanting to talk today. I don't know what happened. Today's talk day. So, Shalom. Thanks for answering the question. Hey, hey, you bet, Brian. Good question, man, on Daniel. Tough, tough nut to crack. Okay. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dr. Pigeon. How are you? Very good. Um, first, I just want to say how grateful I am to, uh, to be on this fellowship. Um, it's been a real blessing to me. I was praying for a while um, to find a fellowship because I've been walking alone. And uh, it's uh, just very good. Good to have you, brother. Thank you. Um, I wanted to bring up the, uh, the COP27 that's going to be happening next month. I don't know if uh, any of you guys have seen the articles about it, um, but they intend on starting in Egypt. And then making kind of like a, a tour, if you will, and then ending up at Mount Sinai giving a new Ten Commandments that they say basically for climate change and, you know, Gaia worship. Who's doing but this? It's uh, apparently it's the new human fraternity. You know, it's going to be the Pope and the other leaders. Um now, it hasn't happened yet. I just saw the article written up on their tentative plan. But, you know, and the, it got me thinking, you know, and it's just if we're to guard the commandments, of course, in our hearts and our minds. But this is also an opportunity for many people, I think, that are trapped in Catholicism and other places. When they see this, I think this will be a red line for many, you know, um, and an opportunity for us to reach out to them. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, you would think with the, Can you know, the, this current guy, Francis, begs the question, is the Pope Catholic? You know, I mean, I mean, he really does, you know, I mean, you know, running around preaching Islam and doing ecumenical stuff. And, you know, they're building this ecumenical capital in Dubai. And he wants, you know, uh, I find the, the fellow to be particularly reprehensible. He ran off the day he thought there was going to be nuclear a nuclear exchange in Europe. He got on a plane and flew to Chile. You know, he's oh. originally from Argentina. He flew down to Chile to visit with the bishops down there because he wanted to be as far away from Europe as he could. And Chile was re repeated to be the only place on earth that was going to actually weather the nuclear holocaust that was coming. He started this whole thing with his Laudate Si that he that he published in 2015, worshiping climate change which is, by the way, idolatry, the whole idea of Gaia and climate change and all that stuff, that's idolatry. And, you know, and they put this stuff forward 
And there are people, you know, the young generation believes this stuff because they see inordinance around them. But I mean, when you're a young person, what do you know what's inordinate? What, you know, from, from not inordinate? You know, I can remember in the 60s, there were massive floods that hit the Midwest and completely destroyed the Midwest. And there was, you know, we, you, you want to talk about climate change. We had some climate change up here in Alaska, man. We're, we're talking, we used to get cold up here. I mean, really cold. And, but the climate changing, the climate that goes on, people who think, oh, mankind's contribution is what's causing the climate change. Well, in, in some respects, yes, it's true. The use of uh, the high antenna array, the heart systems to heat the atmosphere, to create artificial droughts and artificial rainstorms, that's having an effect on the climate. Nonstop dumping of barium and strontium and other things into the atmosphere, chromium, in the form of chemtrails, that's having an effect on climate change. But man's use of an SUV and all this kind of thing is having no effect on climate change. And certainly man's exhalation in, in terms of his contribution to CO2 is having absolutely zero effect on climate change. In fact, there is more CO2 that has evaporated off the ocean in one year than man has exhaled in the history of mankind from Adam forward, okay? One year coming off the ocean of the 160 billion cubic feet of CO2 that enters the atmosphere, all of which is food for plants, by the way, 159.8 something comes off the ocean. So in mankind's contribution, you could come into North America and you could eliminate every single human being on North America, kill every single human being on North America. That's about 500 million people. China and India would make up for the loss of people in two years. They'd be back on the earth. Oh, yeah. So, so what are you talking about? We're going to control this. We're going to control that. We're going to control the other thing. And Bill Gates wants to block out the sun. You know, this kind of uh, wickedness is just absolutely unprecedented. And the Pope is promoting this stuff. The Pope, in my opinion, first of all, he is not guided by the Ruach HaKodesh. He's not a Torah keeper. He's not a scripture reader. He believes all of this new age socialist stuff. And he's promoted this agenda through his Laudate Si, which has given the Holy Roman Empire, i.e. the Third Reich that calls itself the EU, permission to do all of this kind of stuff. And so, you know, and now the fact he's going to proclaim some new climate change, he's going to, you know, he's going to create the Georgia Guidestones from, and then my question is, which Mount Sinai is he going to use? Yeah. Is he going to go, go to the prohibited space in Saudi Arabia that is the true Mount Sinai and the true Mount Horeb? Or is he going to go to the fake Mount Sinai down in the Sinai Peninsula? Which one is he going to go to? You know? That's a good question. That's a really good question. Yeah, yeah. Their, their whole, uh, I don't know if you guys will be able to see it here, but um, their whole COP27 logo is the Akhenaten like star, the hands reaching down. Yeah, there you go. It's just, yeah, the star of Rem Fan. They, they just can't be more in our face about it, you know. Well, I mean, you know, the, the typical Catholic, I mean, you know, uh, I got an idea of the Catholic faith when I was in Jerusalem. And I went into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And this place is a complete fraud. You know, I mean, it has absolutely nothing to do with any things that happened in Mashiach. I mean, you know, it, it just doesn't. They try, you know, that for instance, they have a tomb in there. They said, this is the tomb where he was buried. And it was given to us in the 14th century by Ivan the Terrible. Well, how can that possibly be his tomb if it was given to you in the 14th century? You know, 
And there's no correlation. Then they've got this slab of slab of uh, clay on the ground. And they say, this is where his body was washed. And you will see Catholics from all over the world laying on the ground, kissing this, kissing this uh, stone. You know, these people believe without thinking. Yep. And as a consequence, they're going to be misled. And it's really that simple. So, you know, and there is a Catholic that I think is doing a good job right now. And that's uh, uh, Vigano is his name. He's an Italian cardinal. He really should be the true pope because he's the only one that has a brain left in his head, really. And uh, But in the meantime, that's not the way Yah has a plan. Yah has this Jorge Borgoglia in place to really mislead the whole church and to take us down this path of, you know, I mean, in, in my opinion, Bergoglio is the false, false prophet out of Revelation 13. Hmm. That's who I think he is. And he is the one pointing to the Antichrist. And he's the one pointing to the beast system. You shall worship the beast. You shall worship the beast. And I believe that he is going to be in place when the Vatican is going to be completely destroyed. And that's coming very, very quickly. The Vatican and Rome is going to be completely destroyed. There won't be anything left. Nothing left of the Vatican. Because the Eastern powers, which are rising in authority right now, perceive, rightly perceive, that the Vatican is the head of the snake. And the Vatican tells you that. Look at the audience hall where the Pope sits. No kidding. Yeah. The head of the snake, right? There it is. So, you know, it's it can be widely perceived. But anyway, well, thank you, Michael. Thank you for raising this. So the name of the group is called, what, the Top 27? Or what are they called? It's the COP 27, the COP 27. They've, Top they've 27. Just Stephen, oh, sorry. Hold on. Can I come in here? Yeah, hold on. Just a second. Let, let Michael finish the sentence. Yeah. Ahead, no, Michael. No, I was about finished. Um, yeah, it's just this year's. It's just that they've really taken a step further after the human fraternity fraternity being signed in, and then all the different faith leaders in that group are going to be giving different scripture after these commandments are are given. Um, from their perspective books, you know. So it's, yeah. Wow. Well, okay. All right, Catherine, you were going to add? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. This was the meeting I was talking to you about on your show with Jessica, I think it was about a week, week and a half ago, about this COP meeting where Joe Biden and the Pope were going to go into Mount Sinai. Yeah, now, well, um, which side he goes to, that's going to be one question. Now, um, I do believe the roots of these new commandments have come from the cabal. Um, because not only that, I think the Noahide laws has got a very strong influence in this as well. When we talk about the multi faith, this yeah. is such an abomination and while i'm on the subject you know what group of people i minister to right and i was wondering a lot of them obviously are from europe and they're all into this symbology very much like the catholics have you got any scriptures for me because i did that teaching uh, i think about a week week and a half ago I was wondering if you can give me any good teachings because we know symbology and titles mean nothing. Because I think you and I discussed 
I think a few days ago about the king. Well, the symbology does have authority as a common man. Yeah, the symbology does have. It does have meaning Almost in terms like of idolatry, isn't it? It's idolatry. That's part of it, and it's also can it also casts the marker. It's like when you put a tattoo on your body. You know, mm. people don't want to. You it's, know, the scripture says you shall not make a tattoo for the dead, right? But people put exactly. tattoos on the body, and they don't realize number one that that's an expression of their own worship. Mm. Number two, mm. the tattoo is something the cops look to to say, oh, that tattoo means this. You know, we know who that guy mm. is because he's got this tattoo. Well, the problem mm. is with symbology, when you talk about symbology with a king or something it's, like that, the symbology, like the royal crest of Charles, is a dead giveaway. Exactly. Dead giveaway, right? Because, I mean, he's got the unicorn. He's got the rampant lion. He's got the... He's got the leopard spots. He's got the feet of the bear. He's got yeah. the, the other thing. Yeah, all these things, old. right? And Which so is in revelation. Are, so when you talk about symbology, what I would say to the royals is this. There is a symbology that's given in scripture. Which mm -hmm. was Moses was told, told to put a seraph on a banner. And he put a serpent on a pole. Can, yes. Now, can you? Now, I mean, can, this, can wait, you wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just let me finish this. This is an extremely important point, right? The other Good. stuff that we're talking about becomes when, when you're talking about creating stuff, the other stuff, you know, when you start, you know, like, for instance, we were talking to Paul Barry about his uh, crest, right? Mm. And, you know, one of the things about a crest, a crest of arms, a coat of arms that I didn't know, is that if there's a mm. chevron on the coat of arms, the chevron, you know, the, the V that's pointed like this, the chevron, this means right. that there was uh, an illegitimate birth in the bloodline. Okay. Okay, yeah. so I mean, I didn't, I didn't know that, but mm. that's that's the case, right? So what mm. I'm saying to you with symbology, and this is something that you would tell you need to tell the royals that any symbology that they're clinging to is definitely going to uh, uh, create for them a particular scriptural reference. Mm. So if they, you know, like I'll give you another example. When you see the rampant lion, this means that mm. you're claiming a lineage to the house of Judah. Exactly. And if the rampant lion is golden, then that is from the house of Perez. If the rampant lion is red, then that is from the house of Zarak. Okay. Okay. So you see the golden lion, you know, the red lion, so the or the red hand is another one that is an indication of the house of Zarak, right? Right. So these kinds of things are, are you know, so so when the royals get into the symbology, they have to recognize all these things have a meaning. They all have a meaning, and they're going to be held to that meaning. They're going to be held to it. You I see, mean, Charles I is not going to escape his his crest. No, he's not. Um, there is talk about handing it down to William, but we just have to wait and see. Um, it's not going to surprise um, me because I can tell you the coronation, Catherine, is going to take place at St. Paul's. It's not going to take place at Westminster Abbey. But anyway, we'll have to. We got to discuss that at another point because right now we're talking yeah, about. So some, I, I just wanted if you know any scriptures against the symbology because there's really no scriptures against it look you have stuff that says you have scripture that talks about because i idolatry. see it as idolatry idolatry says what you shall not make any graven image of anything on the earth in the sea or on the sky right and bow down and worship it that's what it says so there's a two there's two boots to drop one is creating the engraven or molten image and the second is bowing down and worshiping it 
So I think it's okay, for instance, to make a painting of your family, or it's okay maybe to even have a statue, but it's another thing to bow down and worship it. Okay? Exactly. Okay, so it, now this question of idolatry is, you know, when we talk about this question of idolatry, I mean, look, when you go to any cathedral in Britain, there's a statue somewhere of somebody, you know, whether it's exactly. on top of the tomb or whether it's a statue in front of the building or it's, you know, it's a statue mm. over the altar. There's a statue somewhere. And that stuff mm. is, is idolatry. And it's exactly. intended as idolatry. I'm, gonna, I'm the bishop here. I want a statue of me in the front of the building. So people will remember me. Well, I hate to break the news to you, Bishop. Nobody remembers you. And the statue doesn't even look like you anyway. I got to tell you, though, it, it, you know, when we were at York Minster, right? There was something mm -hmm. quite interesting at York Minster because we walked into York Minster and there were statues of 15 kings going from uh, mm -hmm. William the Conqueror all the way to Henry III. Mm -hmm. And those statues were interesting. They really told a tale, which I'm not going to tell here, but they told a very interesting tale about who William the Conqueror was. Oh, yeah, big time. Mm. So I will leave it at that. So, in terms of your ministry, Catherine, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't belabor uh, the symbology unless the symbology is getting into sigil magic. And believe me, that yeah, threshold yeah. is right there. You know, when you look, for instance, at Celtic oh. symbols, you know, you know mm -hmm. the Celtic Trinity that I'm talking about, the three triangles yeah. of the Celtic Trinity. All right, mm -hmm. so that's very common jewelry in Ireland, and it's very mm -hmm. common among the Catholics to have this Celtic symbology, right? The three intertwined mm -hmm. half circles. Mm -hmm. But when you, when you move out of that, and you move even slightly, a little bit to the left or the right, you enter into sigil magic. And when you enter into exactly. sigil magic, you better have some idea exactly. about where you're going because you get into sigil magic. And first of all, you should never subject yourself to that stuff. Not ever. Not even the slightest mm. bit in the little bit. Because once you mm. open the door to that, then that stuff comes in the lid. Exactly. And okay. I, I just, I just, I'm trying to think of um, scriptures um, that talk about this idol worship and symbologies. It's so Exodus, I'm gonna have to 20, Exodus 20, verse 4. Let me write this down. Yeah, you can find 20, it. It's no problem. Okay. Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verse 4. Verse 4. Might be verse 3. It's okay, 3 or 4, well, but it's right in there. But, but, the thing, but the thing is, so Catherine, you know, look, I wouldn't get too caught up on the symbology side of it. The more important thing for the people you're dealing with is they need to come out of Babylon. They need to come out they of in Babylon. They need to come out of EU. They need to come out of the Third Reich. They need to come out of all that mindset. They need to pull away from the 13 families and consider there is one family, which is the family of Yah. And anyone who's still exactly. in the families are going to exactly. find themselves in, in the destruction to come. So I'll leave it at that. Exactly. Okay. I'll come back. All right, then. Let me okay, talk to Jesse. Okay. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Hey, Jesse. Hey, hi there. Long time no see. <laughs> a few hours, yeah. Actually, I have a prayer request, Stephen. It's for the group, but for you to, to lead them. This is from Mark and Sharon. They're very, very private people, but they're very much part of the group. Both of them have terminal cancer, and they were significant. Although they couldn't come to the UK, they were significant for the UK gathering. 
the last couple of days she's passed away into she hasn't passed away but she is in the process of passing away What's can't her, name? her name is Sharon she, he can't bear to see her in any pain anymore and one of the last things that she did was what she did for the UK uh, meeting and he's asked if you could just pray that if it's yours will that she Mark. is taken away from the pain Mark 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 and Sharon Rose Mark and Sharon okay well let's yeah. pray right now let's pray uh, Heavenly you. Father, you know, we come to you now, Father, and we and we want to lift up this brother and sister, Mark and Sharon. And Father, you know the walk in, in life, and you know how the walk has gone, and who we are, and what we have done, and the kinds of places we have been, the things we have thought, and the, and the thoughts we have thought of you, and how we have handled ourselves in this life. And you call us home from time to time, Father, and you call us home at some point is in a decision you have made. But Father, we look to you now and we say again to you, Yada Your words, Father, that you are good and your mercy endures forever. And we look to you now, Heavenly Father, that your hand of mercy would look down now upon Sharon and upon Mark and see their suffering, Father, and see what Sharon is going through, see what Mark is going through, Father. And that as Sharon comes home to join you, Father, that uh, you would bless her now with your hand of mercy in accordance with your divine will, Father. Not to ask you of extraordinary things that are outside your will, but to ask you that your will be done and it be done in your divine and glorious mercy, Father, that your name would be glorified. And you would be glorified, Father. Glorified in Sharon's heart, glorified in Mark's heart, that your hand of forgiveness would be upon Sharon now, and your hand of mercy would be upon her. And that you would allow her to forgive all those things in her heart that have not remained, uh, that had remained unforgiven. That she would let go of those things now, Father. Let go of all of that and bring nothing but divine forgiveness into her heart, mind, and soul. That as that forgiveness it completely overtakes her, Father, that you too would forgive her in kind with a divine forgiveness and a divine hand of mercy. And that you would bless Mark and Sharon now with the, yes. uh, with the extension of your love, Father, in your beauty and in the wonders of your name and the divine empowerment of your will. Be blessed in our prayer, Father, that we do not ask extraordinary things, but we come to you calling out your name in mercy and knowing that you are the beginning and the end of all of our lives. And that as you seek fit, Father, your will will be done. Blessed be your name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you. Thanks, give Stephen. Bless, give my blessings to them, if you would, uh, Jesse. I will. I will. We love I will. them greatly. Sorry they're going through this. Yeah, they, they, they're very, very special. They do so much behind the scenes from prayer and so much more. And this is the one time they're crying out in the final hour. So thank you, Stephen. That will mean a lot to them and to the group for praying as well. Let's see what Yah does, okay? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Jesse. All right. Take care. Okay. Okay, John Barr, how are you, brother? Hey, I'm here. Uh, I've got <laughs> All an right, idea. That's, what... that's half the battle right there. <laughs> that's right. I woke up this morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, I have a couple of things to share. 
first I have an idea where the Pope is going. <laughs> and it it's not a mountain. <laughs> anyway. Where, um, where is he where is he going? Where do you think? Well, he can't really go to Mount Horeb over in Saudi, uh, I don't think, because the, his church has claimed Sinai and the Sinai Peninsula for centuries. So, but if he goes to Horeb in Saudi, which is actually kind of off limits by the Saudi government. Right. Um, He's really making a statement about how, how many other of the sites the Roman church has claimed are fraudulent, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That is going to open a pen. I mean, he's kind of caught between a rock and a hard place with this, <laughs> his mouth off like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but that's, that's what some people some people do. They're so sure what they know. Um, so after that, I don't know where he's going. Well, <laughs> in the end, I got an idea where he's going. Um, one thing that came to mind about a lot of the discussion today is this, um, the word righteousness and the idea behind the, that word um, and it, it first shows up in Genesis with Noah that he was seen as being righteous in his generations, which is why Yahweh um, chose him. And then earlier, I think it mentions that his, his generations were correct or, or not not. Uh, his generations were not corrupt, actually. So it didn't have any, any Nephilim DNA. It's basically what that says. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't say that about his wife, three sons, and the other people in the ark. It's just talking to Noah. So that's another possible way of how some, some uh, things got through the flood. But, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit, John, when we when we were discussing uh, Yashar in ancient days, right, <laughs> because yeah. Yashar says that he married Naamah. Yes. And Naamah was the sister of Tubal-Cain. And Tubal-Cain was the last descendant of the line of Cain. And so the story in uh, Yashar is really incredible because Lamech, who was the seventh from Cain, right? So what does it say? That was a, a sign was put on Cain that says, I will avenge him sevenfold should anyone kill him. Well, what that turns out to be is seven generations from Cain to Lamech. And Lamech is traveling with his son, Tubal-Cain, who's young. And Tubal-Cain says, oh, look, there's an animal over there. Shoot it. And hmm. so he pulls out his bow and shoots and he kills Cain. And so they go over and look, and Lemek goes, I just killed my seventh grandfather here, but it's your instruction. And so he goes nuts, and he starts, you know, flagging the air. And anyway, he kills Tubal-Cain. So mm -hmm. Tubal-Cain, the eighth from Cain, who is the last male of the line of Cain, dies right there at the hand of Lemek. Now, Genesis yeah. reports and says that Lemek had 
killed, well, let's see, how does it put it? It's a very obscure line in Genesis that, but it indicates that he'd killed two. One uh, was an elder and one was to his own hurt because he killed his own son. Yeah. And his wives, then Ada and Scylla, rejected him. It's like, you're a murderer. You know, you're scum. We don't want to talk to you anymore. But his sister, Naamah, would go on to marry Noah. And then Jasher records that she was the mother of Shem, Ham, and Yafet. Right? So we see that, well, whatever the situation was with Cain, that we had the line of Cain is continued in Noah through the seed of the woman. Yeah. Another interesting anomaly in all of it, right? Yeah, and then I wanted to go back to this word righteous and righteousness. Yeah, yeah, sure. This is very important, I think, um, for me when I begin this, this, uh, this search, I guess, or whatever, that leads me to this group. And it goes back to Abraham that his belief in what God told him was, was counted as righteousness. Abraham was not righteous, neither is anyone else. Nor can I become righteous of myself, not by my works, not my, my beliefs or anything, because I, I have a possibility and probability of error in my thinking. So where does this thing come from? And to get it really simple is righteousness broken down is right relationship to Yahweh. Right relationship to Yahweh. And since Yahusha is Yahweh, this is what he was talking about as, as this kingdom. This, there's another kingdom, and it's not of this earth. And it begins with my personal search for righteousness with my creator father. And, and it's like when Jesus said, you know, um, uh, he said, no one comes to me, but the father draws them. And then Yahushua also said, no man goes to the father except by me. Both of these things have to do with belief. And belief is something I can conjure up in my mind, but there's this other belief that we are drawn to seek the truth in the darkness. We're just drawn. Where that comes from is the father because I am his child. See, as, as a part of Yeshurel, this is, this is a really mystery, but it's beginning to be revealed that when I do begin my search for knowing this Yahweh, to know and understand uh, that Yahweh is the one and only God, the one and only El, and his son, Yahushua. Okay, so this is neat to me because if I start my search there, everything else comes from there because everything else has been placed 
under the feet of both the father and the son. Yeah. So this this reminds me too of um, you know the quest the question Catherine had about the symbols when Yahusha departs, the Ruach HaKadosh comes and there in that is these gifts also from, you know, this comes from the Father and the Son. So we have the gift of discernment. What is really important? What is not important? What is significant um, in this, the totality of what does righteousness mean when we define it as, hey, that's that's my personal right relationship with the whole creation. And it starts with Yah, Yahweh, and then it's really explained to us and put forth to us in the life and the teaching of Yahusha. So the origin goes back to Abraham. Abraham had no scripture. He had no symbol. <laughs> he had no church. He had no Sunday school, no priest, no anything. But we have this fantastic record of Abraham, not only in our, our Genesis record, but we've got it in these other books now that show, um, that kind of fill in the gaps. Abraham was not a coincidence. He's put there. <laughs> Just like Yahushua was put there through the seed of the woman. This, this script is already written, so to speak. This, what we see unfolding in the history, even today, is already in place. It's going to go. It's, it's Yahweh that's going to send the Pope to the place he wants him to go. And the Pope may think, I'm going to make up my mind, but no. He's going where he's going to go, just like it was said. Yahushua was going to be crucified, no matter what anybody did. Right. It's all set. All right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, we have choice. We have choice to call on the name of Yahweh. That's the choice. To seek his face, to, to obey his commandments, to, uh, you know, to, to uh, obey... Obey the Sabbath. That's the mark of us. So we're all slowly moving into this place that I'm beginning to know who I am. And I'm not of this world. <laughs> In a sense, it's like we're human beings experiencing uh, spiritual things. But the other side of that is I'm a spiritual being experiencing humanity. That is temporal. That's temporary. Yeah. So, yeah, so this true. is very exciting to me. You can tell, I think. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right about this, John. I think that you know when you cross this threshold into uh, into the full being rebirthed in the belief that, that yeah. uh, the flesh is uh, the flesh is more or less incidental you cross into eternal life in this life here you cross into eternal life amen yeah. and, and when you cross into eternal life then the flesh just kind of ling now with this being said we're not called to give up on the flesh we, no. we have a responsibility to live out our life in the flesh in the full as yah has called us to do it 
in accordance with the number of days that he has set forth, whatever that may be, right? We're called Amen. to do that. But it, but in the meantime, the, the spiritual life is can be a very exciting life. It can be a very exciting life in terms of being an interface with Yah, continually being interfaced with the Ruach HaKodesh, continually being uh, uh, being instructed and guided and led and taught and uh, and covered. Right. And to see the miracle, the miraculous hand of Yah work. And, you know, I mean, not everything is a, is a bed of roses, right? We're given. Not at all. Test. Hold We're until, hold until relieved. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, and so this is, this is the way it is. But I mean, uh, you know, that's the way it is on the earth as a testing place, not a resting place, not a nesting place, but a Amen. testing place. And so here we are. So in these tests, we go through these tests because this is what Yah has called us to. And in these tests, how are we going to do? I mean, how do we do in the test, John? Some people are tested more than others, right? You know, when you think about people who, you know, who lose a child or people who, uh, you know, uh, lose a spouse or, you know, I mean, there's lots of things that happen to people that become great, grievous, difficult tests. And of course, we're called to what? We're not not called to pass or fail the test. We're called to see what we do after the test is over. When the test is over, what do we say? Do we say the Yad gives and Yad takes away? Blessed be the name of Yahweh. Do we? Can we do that? Can we walk? Can we pick that back up? Or do we fall off the horse and stay off the horse? Right? Well, I mean, these, we, can't, these, we can't be bewildered by these, these uh, what is it to call it, tribulations that come to us. This is part of, this is, this is the test. You you will be tested. If you you get on the side of Yahweh, the enemy is targeting you. It's just like you suit up with a certain color uniform and under a color a certain flag, the people that have the other flag are going to shoot at you. This is the way it is. So when we stand <laughs> and take a position that, hey, I'm making a choice in the flesh. To move, to move away from those things that are in me that I now know this is not what Yahweh wants. And he gave us, he gave us these scriptures in, in the, and he gave us his son that the teaching is there. And it's not religion. It's not religion. It's truth. Yeah, it's yeah, that's right, and it's there's a big difference, right? Because it's, religion, it's a massive difference. In religion, so, you think you can do this ritual or that practice or keep this tradition or exercise that dogma, and somehow because you did that, now you've got salvation, and and but that's not the situation at all. But rather be called into this long term walk, a long term walk seeking righteousness, right? And it's a big question for all of us. I mean, I think Satan uh, ultimately finds the weak underbelly. Satan finds. Sure. The- he's, he's only going to attack a hard, uh, soft target. Yeah. They don't go after hard targets. So, yeah. where's and the anybody, place anybody who thinks they don't have a soft underbelly is not telling the truth. <laughs> no. Everybody has a soft underbelly. Everybody has a weak spot. And, and it's up to us to try to hold to it, right? Okay. All right. Well, thank you, John. Doc, I just wanted to say I'm very blessed by John's John's statement there. I love it. I love it to pieces. And I just wanted to say it reminds me of uh, the first uh, the first commandment. You know, 
The first yeah. commandment. That's what it is. You know, seek me. Yeah. Seek me out. Seek me. Find me. Yeah. Yeah. Seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart. Yeah. The trials and tribulations may definitely become worse in these times toward the end. But that may be why the, the first will be last and the last will be first because we, whoever endures to the end, this is uh, so suit up. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the advice, John. Thank you. I appreciate Again, it. I, appreciate I love it every one of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you, John. Yeah. That's greatly appreciated. Sure. Hey, Alan, before we come to you, can I go to John for just a second? Absolutely. We'll Thank you. We'll come right back, Alan. So, John, you you had your hand up there for a little bit. But you don't anymore. What's going on? John and Danny, I saw you down there with your hand up. Hi. Hey, what's going on? Shabbat shalom. Hey. Well, I don't have very much. I don't have very much battery left, and uh, I just figured what I had to say was probably too long, so I figured I'd just lower my hand. Um, I really just wanted to go elementary. All you guys are Sherlock and I'm Watson. Um, I uh, wanted to exhaust. I was trying to exhaust the scripture um, in Ephesians where we're essentially where we're being um, explained that uh, we may be able to comprehend with all the Kodashim, what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height? And I know you have your take on that, but I thought to myself, because I love word searches and I love the word search tool on the suffer, but usually when you do a word search, you're not gonna find all your answers in chronological order. But I thought to myself, I'm gonna start with the word breadth and look in order what's being talked about here. And I found it so awesome and so interesting that chronological order built me a tabernacle. And essentially what we read first, the very first time we see the breath, we see Noah getting instruction to build the ark. And we know that Noah found grace in the eyes of Yah. The second time we read about the breadth, which we know is a measurement, an extent of a measurement. He's talking to Avraham. He's talking to him when he's Avram, before he's Avraham. And he's talking to him about the measurement of the land, which is the gift that he's going to give to him, the immeasurable, if you can measure it, gift. The third time we see the word breadth, he's talking to the children of Yasharel the Amoshe with direction to build the ark. He's telling them to build the ark first, but to build the ark in the pattern of the tabernacle. The next time we see the word, it goes to the mercy seat, which I think is just beautiful that you have Yahuwah's testimony inside the ark and he covers it with the mercy seat. Amen. The fifth time we see it is table, yeah. then the border, 
And then the curtains, which I find odd that the curtains came before the boards, then the court, then the breastplate of judgment, then the altar incense, which I believe are, well, we won't go there. Then the, uh, the altar of the ascending smoke offering, and then the, the gate. So for somebody like me, that has a very childlike mind, and I don't have a whiteboard, um, but I was able to, in my mind, because I'm a visual learner, I was able to start with, you know, for in the old times also, when the proud Nephilim perished, the hope of the world governed by your hand escaped in a weak vessel and left to all ages a seed of generation. For blessed is the wood whereby righteousness comes. Because I get on all these word searches or studies and I was studying wood and the vessel and the weaker vessel. And then, you know, of course, Hokma Shaloma goes to tell us about what is wood that is, you know, made by man's hands. And essentially it's always nothing. It means nothing. It's vanity. And I'm like, well, somebody had to make the wood or had to make these things. And then I was looking at the uh, Bezael, the man named Bezael, and that the meaning of his name was in the shadow of, in the protection of Yah. It just gave me so much clarity on this season of building tabernacles if we're the children of Yasharel, if we're born of Yasharel, should we be building these tabernacles? And I think that the physical practice of building the tabernacle goes back to the spiritual that we should be building these spiritual tabernacles. And what is the significance in each step of that? First, we're in this dark, evil world where we want to be seen like Noah with Yahuwah finding grace, you know, because Noah found grace in the eyes of Yah. And then what happened? Yes, Noah brought the seed of man, but he brought the seed of the word. And that's that word, you know, that's that testimony. Anyway, like I said, it's very elementary, but I got so excited that I could find studying the word breath that I could build a tabernacle. So I know it's cheesy, but no, it's cheesy. It's we beautiful. eat a lot of cheese. We're from no, Wisconsin, but I just thought that was. You know, <laughs> we, had, we had a discussion about that last night, you know, because here in Alaska, you know, we're talking about. Well, what should we do? Hold on, I'm getting it. Yeah, I think you got me, got me cranked kind of loud there over there. But when you talk about, uh, we were talking about it last night. How do you feel the tabernacle in Alaska? John, there we go. There we go. There, that's a little better. And so when you when you talk about that, you know the, uh, uh, you know you've made a really good point here though, because the beauty of the breath of the tabernacle, and the idea of uh, of this uh, maker. Uh, that was building the ark and the skill set that's described in him that he was covered in the shadow of, of L and that in his, in his craftsmanship and he was building this beautiful thing. And so I do think this is a very, very good word here, Danny. I mean, it's just, it's something that is remarkable uh, in the respect of what, you know, when we go to build a, a booth, we're not going to be, we may not be living in the booth, but that shouldn't stop us from preparing the booth 
And it, it's just, it's one of these things that for, for those of us who are observant in the feasts, that this can bring a thing of beauty in, in constructing a booth. So I do appreciate that word. So thank you for contributing to it, Watson. Good to hear from you. <laughs> okay, let's go, to, let's go to Alan. Hey, Alan. Hey, Dr. P and everybody. <laughs> it's, right, good uh, to hear from you. It's been pretty amazing. Um, the last time we talked, you told me to get rid of that pentagram on the floor, Texas Star. And um, so after that Shabbat meeting, I waited till Shabbat was over. I contacted the guy. He came out Monday right before Yom Kippur and we got it all done. And there was like a weight lifted off the house. And so that curse went away. So I'm super thankful that you told me about that. Um, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm glad to hear so, that. So thanks for that. Uh, uh, Yom Kippur was beautiful. Then you sent me to Florida. So I'm in, I live in Texas, but he sent me to Florida for Sukkot. And like you said, Alan, you're going to have a big ministry. It's like he unleashed me during the Sukkot. Like he marched me, marched me and elders in front of each other that were like man's doctrines and doing Taekwondo for kids. And he had me calling these elders to repentance. And they said, well, we've been doing this for 25, 30, 40 years. And I'm like, look, like I'm just delivering the message. It's like, <laughs> don't, don't shoot the messenger, me. right? Yeah, don't <laughs> shoot the messenger. Yeah. <laughs> so it's crazy you said that because they surrounded me, like 10 men surrounded me. And I just want to like share this with people. Like they were so angry at me. They, they were telling me, get out of the camp. You need to leave. They had 10 men surrounding me. They said, we're going to call the sheriffs on you and they're going to drag you out of here with chains. And the whole time I was surrounded by all these men that wanted to cause me harm, but I was in y'all's hand the whole time. I couldn't move. I was just peaceful the whole time. And like, what am I doing wrong? Like, you were, I'm you not were confronting a bunch of wrong. Taekwondo instructors. You guys. Alan, you were, you were confronting a bunch <laughs> of Taekwondo instructors. Is that what I may hear you say? Well, one who was teaching kids, but then I had to call out some other elders for some other things they were doing, just false doctrine. And, I don't like doing this stuff. I like having a good time with everybody and I don't want to cause trouble, but I had to deliver, you know, y'all put it, put these people right in front of me to deliver. So they call the sheriffs on me. The sheriffs blocked me in. Uh, um, it's like, I thought I was going to go to jail, but the whole time, you know, y'all was holding me in his hand and it's like, he delivered. And and then one more testimony. They kicked me out right before Shemini at Soret. And I was like scrambling to find a place to go. And uh, so I tried to go to this campground, but it's, it was just sundown. And the guy, there's a guy that comes over and says, you can't park here. And I said, well, can I pay you after, you know, this holy day ends? And he was like, no, you have to leave because that's the rule. And I said, you can't help me out. Like, I can't stay here for this holy day and then pay you when, when the holy day is over. No. So I had to leave there. And then I, because I, I'm living out of my car, like just going around, you know, sharing the message and stuff. And that's what he has me doing. So I park at a Walmart and I'm walking. I have no food at this point because I was expecting to just be at the camp. Well, yeah, 
had two apples laying on the asphalt for me so that I, I can eat on this holy day. And it was just like, and I know his hand is all over me and he's been, he's been really putting Joshua 1.9 in my head. Do not be, do not be discouraged for I am with you whithersoever you go. He's really been hammering that into me. Like, Alan, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Keep pressing forward. Keep pressing forward. Deliver these messages. And so, yeah, it's just been interesting because you said it and it's like, whoa, like I've never experienced this before because I'm not a controversial person, but I had to, I have to deliver the messages that he tells me to deliver. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I'm asking for the group's prayers. Okay. I'm facing a lot of evil. we're gonna Satan pray for is right pissed now. off at me because let's, let's I've exposed right a now. lot of evil let's going pray, on. Let's pray for you right now, Dave. So, Heavenly Father, we come together. We want to bless Alan, yeah. and we want to bless you, Father, in Alan. We want to bless your Ruach HaKodesh as you move with Alan. Uh, Father, I pray you give Alan very keen ears to hear you and very keen eyes to see what you're leading him to do. That you would treat him with with uh, kid gloves, Father, and just take care of him now in this ministry. That as you bring him forward, Father, that he would be very, very in touch with you in prayer and in the study of your word to know wh- uh, wherewith he should act and how he should act, Father. Bless him and surround him with angels and keep him very clearly, Father, from the, the from the wrong path and on the right path. And even if it means an, an angel with a fiery sword that keeps him off the wrong path, but a wide open door that puts him on the right path, Father, that you would make sure that he walks in, in the ways that you want him to walk, Father. Bless him and keep him now in this ministry in the name of Yahushua. Amen. Amen. I mean, I mean, I'm so thankful to be on this group because, I mean, I'm traveling all over. And so I get to convene with you guys and just thank you, everyone, for letting me be here. Thank you, Dr. P. And yeah, such a blessing. Hey, Alan, we'll look forward to your report from next week. And, you know, <laughs> let, let us know the next time you confront a bunch of Taekwondo instructors. <laughs> Man, thank you, guys. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> okay, you too. All right. Okay, Servant of Yah, how are you? Shalom, Dr. P. How are you? Can you hear me? Very good. I can hear you. Yes. How are you? Perfect. I just want to... Uh... Um, ask a couple of questions, actually. So my wife is joining us for Shabbat for the very first time. So praise you for that. All right. Hallelujah. Welcome. And Ashley has a question. So I would like to uh, present her question first. Um, her question is, is though we are to rest on the Shabbat, how are things like fire departments, hospitals, and things like that supposed to run if everybody is resting on the Shabbat? So I figure I'd leave that question for you. <laughs> well, you know, all of those people are cursed. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> the, 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 truth, the truth of the matter is this. When, you know, this is a big question in Israel, right? It's like, okay, are we supposed to defend the country during Yom Kippur, right? That was the question. And they got attacked on Yom Kippur, I think in 1973, because they were all resting during that day. And, they, and nobody was up for the Shabbat. You know, one of the things that, you know, the New Testament says and specifies is it says it is lawful to do well on the Shabbat. It is lawful to do well. And you have to remember that Shabbat was created for man, not man for the Shabbat. 
This is not something that we're enslaved to. We're not enslaved to the Shabbat. We're given the Shabbat. We're given the Shabbat out of the mercy of Yah, who says, I will give you the seventh day of rest. And this is something when you go to practice the Shabbat, you shouldn't force yourself into it. You shouldn't go to your employer and say, I'm now respecting the Shabbat and you need to do it too. That isn't what happens. You pray for the, the Sabbath that Yah would give it to you because it's a spiritual blessing that comes on you. It's not just a day of rest. It's a spiritual day of rest. And Yah will give you the Sabbath. And he will give a country at the Sabbath too. A country that desires the Sabbath will be given the Sabbath. And uh, because of that, that the people who do the emergency work and so on and so forth, I mean, it's very clear in Moshe's Torah that, and in fact, it's written in the New Testament. How many of you would go out and rescue your neighbor's bull if your neighbor's bull went into a ditch on the Sabbath? All of you would, and it's lawful to do that. Same thing with the policeman, same thing with the fireman, same thing with somebody who's in the armed forces defending the nation, that it's lawful to do well on the Shabbat. But we're called to a day of rest. And when you're not doing the thing, when you know the ox isn't in the ditch, don't go out there and look for an ox to pull out of the ditch. Take the day off like you're supposed to. Take the day of rest. And uh, But other than that, that's pretty much how it works. So it's not, you know, if you get a bunch of rabbis in the room and you're taking a look at the phrase, no servile work, ultimately you could conclude that everybody needs to go into a coma on Friday night and not come out until Saturday night, right? No, and, and even then there's no exhaling. You know, I mean, you know, that, that's an extreme version of Shabbat. And that's why Mashiach had to clarify it. It's not like that at all. It's a day of rest and a day to eat, drink, and bless Yah. That's what it says in Jubilees. And, you know, but it's lawful to do well. So remember that the essence of the Sabbath is Yahweh. Yahweh is the essence of the Sabbath. His character is defined in the Shabbat. Six days he worked and on the seventh day he rested. And that's what we should be doing. Okay. That's that answer your Thank question? You. Okay. Yes. All right. I got one more question for you. Hey, wait if, a minute. That's, that's another 50 bucks then. Haven't you ever heard about the guy that went to the lawyer and said, hey, you're a lawyer. For 100 bucks, can you answer a couple questions? And the lawyer said, sure. What's the second question? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> with this possible thought of uh, uh, war uh, with the United States, what do you think would be, you know, the first five states hit um, and the reasons why they would target those? Okay. I mean, that's a good, great question. And I can tell you now, there's a couple of things going on with that. Number one is Russia has already announced their first three targets. And uh, their first three targets, which would be the which would be uh, the direct uh, uh, recipients of 100 kiloton nuclear weapons on, on the Topol ICBMs, which are hypersonic missiles that travel at 12,000 miles an hour. That would be New York, Washington, D.C., and Denver. Those were the three targets they announced. But that assumes that they're going to make a direct hit with nuclear weapons before they target the country with an EMP. An EMP is far, far more likely to be the first strike which would be an electromagnetic pulse weapon, which would burn out all the electronics in the country. And that would probably happen over St. Louis. There probably wouldn't be much loss of life initially, but there wouldn't be an electric power for the whole country. And so we'd be in the dark. And, and, and most analysts say that would cost about 90% of the people living here their lives. The bigger issue is, is to worry about is with China, because China is likely to use a, to coordinate an event with Russia well, should the event come to a direct confrontation, that Russia would probably take care of the, a few nuclear incidents. Uh, and if they did, uh, North Korea would act immediately against South Korea and probably Tokyo with nuclear weapons. 
And then China would be prepared to move forward with both EMPs and other short-term missiles with the intent of putting somewhere between two and five million Chinese troops on the West Coast, primarily landing in LA and in San Francisco. Uh, although they would be also uh, landing in Astoria, Oregon uh, for an, uh, an assault up the Columbia River. So, you know, that's what you're looking at uh, in terms of the assault. Uh, you know, the easiest way to get through this is to not have a war with them. Um, and that way we wouldn't have any of these problems happening and we could stop this war very quickly with the right leadership, uh, but we don't have the right leadership. Instead, we have the leadership that Yaz put in place that Yaz's judgment might take place. So that would be, you know, so the long and the short of it, the most, the most dangerous places in the country are DC, New York, and Denver. They're the most dangerous places are the ones most likely to be struck. Uh, After that, it's anyone's game. If we retaliate against Russia and say, we're going to strike, you know, we're going to do a massive nuclear strike against your cities, Russia may unleash what's called its dead hand, which would put some 300 missiles into the U.S. So it wouldn't make any difference where you are. Not even grass will grow after that. Okay. So, uh, so let us pray for Yah's will, that Yah's will would be done and that uh, we would be a nation of repentance and come before him in repentance before we get to that point. So Amen. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, thank you for your questions. Appreciate that. Well, by the thank way, you. where are you? Where are you located? I'm in Texas, but I'm protected by the hand of Yah. So it doesn't matter where, you know, where I'm at. I'm not asking out of fear. I'm just asking, you know, just to have some knowledge on Amen, where right. I think. Amen. Okay. All right. Amen. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Tina, how are you, sister? Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. Okay. I have two things really quick. Let me get a piece of paper so I can get the name. Okay. The first thing is, remember Thursday when I asked you about the spear that pierced Yahusha? And where yeah. was the spear? And you, oh, had yeah. mentioned, you had mentioned the name of somebody that knows where it is or something over in the UK. Yeah, I think Catherine, uh, Catherine Wilmot, I think Catherine knows. Catherine, do you know where the spear of uh, that was used to uh, poke the side of Mashiach is? I sent you that information months ago. And my poor little brain with the loss of Ross cannot remember for the life of me. But it's something have it? I'll have to look back into. Yeah, I'm thinking that it was that it was either in Manchester or it might have been in Edinburgh, maybe. But it's somewhere I, I the- honestly cannot remember. I'm sure yeah. I sent you the information months and months ago. I do remember, yeah. Chat. But it's yeah. the spirit of Longinus. Of Ross, my poor brain yeah, there you go. The spirit of the spirit of Longinus. Yeah, who said that iPhone? Lori. Lori iPhone. <laughs> yeah, hi Lori iPhone. <laughs> I bridge you get that last name. I don't know. I got a link and that's what it comes up as. It used to be Lori Nori, but now it's iPhone. Oh, okay. So uh, the Spear of Longinus. So do you know where this is? I actually don't remember, but he wrote, there's a book about him, the um, Roman who used that spear. David? David? Yes. Yeah. um, Hitler got, Hitler, Adolf Hitler got possession of that. Uh, it was with the regalia in uh, Austria. 
it's the last time I knew where it was. In, okay, uh, so it's still sequestered anyway, somewhere in Austria. I would th say so, that they got it back. It was with the Royal Regalia and whatever museum or castles they keep that in uh, Vienna, probably in Vienna. He went to Vienna to get it. I remember reading about that part. Okay, perfect. All right, so I think we have the answer to that, Tina, maybe. You have to do some research on it. Okay, thank you. And then yeah. also when we were talking about the MP, have you ever seen this book before? Uh, one second after, now who is that? Is that, um, who wrote that? William R. Forstchen, F-O-R-S-T-C-H-E-N. I've had this book for years. No, I don't it's think about, I have seen this book. It's about when an EMP goes off in the States and how people are surviving. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very interesting book. I've had it for years. Yeah. Yeah, well, they've known about the technology for years. And of course, that kind of stuff is available. And uh, yep. the last thing we want to see happen is an EMP go off. And it would just be nice if we could pull back from where we are right now. We don't have to be Absolutely. At, the, at all. Okay. Thank you, okay. and I'll do my own research on the spear, I suppose. And oh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see what we can find out at our end, okay? Thanks, Tina. Well, then I'll, I'll message Catherine. Yes, Catherine. Steven, yes. the name of Maurice comes into place, if I'm trying to remember. I'm not sure now. Okay. Something to do with the spear of destiny. Catherine, just message me on Telegram if you can remember anything, please. I'm not sure which telegrams I'm on, but um, no, I, I hardly ever go on telegram, but I'll, I'll make a point. We're, because we're connected but, on telegrams to message okay, each other. Okay, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you. Right, but I did you. send Stephen very interesting stuff, but I don't know where that information is now. Okay, well, we'll find out. Okay. We'll get some research on it. Thank you, Catherine. Okay, okay. thanks, Tina. All right. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Okay, let's go to Liv's phone. Hi, Liv. Greetings, Stephen. How are you? Very good. Um, you mentioned that there were three manuscripts of Isaiah found in the Dead Sea Scrolls and that they were not in sync with one another. That's my and, understanding. And then we also look back to the time of Constantine when he destroyed all the writings to rewrite history with his own historians. Uh, there. Right, right, yeah. Okay, so the passage that is um, before me is Jeremiah 31, 31. And it basically you know, has Yah declaring that I'll make a new covenant. And it also, you know, uh, uh, states that I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And he says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, no, Yah, because they will all know me. So, I was hoping you could shed some light on why it is different than this, where people all think they go out and share with somebody when it appears here that 
the instruction is that no, no man will no longer have to teach their neighbor. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that's a difficult passage. Uh, and that's a really good question that no man will have to teach his neighbor. I mean, because, you know, there are many people who say, well, this covenant has happened, that the Ruach HaKodesh has poured the Torah into the heart, mind, and soul of people. And you believe that? You believe that? Uh, well, I do in some cases, yeah. Okay. But I mean, but what, there are other people who say that I've had the Torah poured into my heart, mind, and soul, and they're violating the Torah all over the place. And, okay. you know, and there are other people who say, well, you know, I'm looking to see how much I can get away with, right? The Torah says mm -hmm. this, and the Torah says that, but I want to know, can I not do this? And can I not do that? And can I get away with this and still be Torah compliant? Mm -hmm. Well, that's really not the, the right thing. So what I really think is the case is that I think that the, the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh, okay, is something that happens uh, at Oh, this is the Ruach doing this and not us, right? It is oh, yes. God doing it. Mm -hmm. And when the Ruach comes upon a person, I think that, yeah, I think that uh, a lot of people are not, just because they've been indwelt with the Ruach HaKodesh does not make them spiritually mature. Absolutely it, it, not. It empowers them and it pushes them in a certain direction. But there still is, you know, studying yourself to show yourself approved, renewing your mind daily, all of these things that are still required of us. And Agreed. So, Agreed. But, when the, but when the Torah is poured in the heart, mind, and soul, I believe Yah's Torah, which is the 10 Devarim, is mm -hmm. in fact poured into the heart, mind, and soul. And I think it's inherent. I think every person knows in their blood that it's not right to kill somebody. I think they know in their blood it's not right to commit adultery. I think they know in their blood it's not right to steal. They know in their bone marrow that these things are wrong. And, you know, it's an intrinsic knowledge of right and wrong. And I do believe that is poured in the heart, mind, and soul. I don't think it's something that has to be studied. But in the modern world, the pop culture, the school system, everything else does everything it can to sear the conscience so that you lose that, that you lose touch with that. Oh, you knew what mm -hmm. right and wrong was before you got here into our kindergarten. Now, I'm telling you, your parents are stupid and your pastor's stupid, and we're going to tell you what the real truth is. And if mm -hmm. you don't believe my version of the truth, well, then I'm going to flunk you. I'm going to give you straight F's until you do believe my version of the truth. I mean, this is how now, communism was so effective, you know, in the communist world. They would tell now, people. This, this is premised by the parents have eaten sour grapes. There you and go. The children's yeah. teeth are set on edge. Yeah, there you go. That's and a good so, that's a good phrase. And so this to me is like the beginning of psychology. You know, can the sins be passed to the to the next generation? And I believe this is saying that they cannot. Yeah. I mean, every man is accountable for his own sin, right? Mm -hmm. You can't hold the sins of the father to the son or the sins of the son to the father. Yeah, I mean, all of those are, you know, they're, yeah, they're mutually accountable. But, um, Stephen, yeah. one last, one last question. Sure. The Dead Sea Scrolls, did Rockefeller have their hands on them for quite some time before you know, they this, this is a great question, you know, and before and, they know, were released, because I got, I actually saw them in the Yad Vashem Museum in Jerusalem, those Dead Sea Scrolls myself. Yeah. And, and I had been studying that Rockefeller had those things 
and, and perhaps alter them. And so I'm just curious, you know, when I hear that there's three conflicting Isaiahs, and I'm sure the genius that you are, I'm sure you know a bunch of other conflicts uh, that I don't even have a clue about, but I do, you know, I just, I just know that the dark side and the Rockefellers are in the leader of the rat pack. And so I can actually sense that they did do something. I'd, I'd love to be able to know if that's the case. Yeah, there's there's a number of questions about that, you know, um, you know, convenient that all of a sudden they found all these scrolls in a cave, you know, yes. outside of Jerusalem, mm -hmm. 48. I mean, very convenient. And of course, you know, it's not just the Rockefellers. The family that you need to worry about was was the Rothschild family, right? Or the Rothschilds, they call them, but Rothschild. And that family, Jacob Rothschild, was the one who essentially funded the creation of the nation of Israel. Uh, you know, Absolutely. 1920. Built, built the Masonic temple that is the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Yep, I've seen their plaque on the back of the building. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you know, that he was very instrumental. Now, they, the Dead Sea Scrolls were sequestered, I think, for 12 years after they made the discovery. Oh, but had 12 years? Do, okay. I think it was 12 years, yeah. And, and the problem was is that they didn't have interpreters. And because you had, you know, there was a mix of language, uh, not language, but a mix of script. So some okay. of the stuff was kind of a uh, latter paleo, and then it, mm -hmm. it moved into a, a Babylonian Aramaic. And so there was like, there's about, there's about a 300 year period there in some of the scrolls and the script varied from scroll to scroll. And so they, they were bringing in this expert, that expert, the other expert. And then they wanted to be very careful that they didn't find any New Testament works or they didn't find anything that corroborated something that was other than the Judaic story. So I think this is part of the reason that there was so much delay is they wanted to make sure about that kind of thing. But now the, uh, the scrolls are pretty much public knowledge and, and it would be very difficult to manipulate those scrolls. But, you know, when you see, like, for instance, the Psalm 119 scroll, I don't know if you saw that when you were looking at those, but, mm -hmm. but that scroll is, you know, very long and very extensive. And it's it would be very hard to manipulate that to change the text on it, you know. OK, so uh, so I don't think they did. And I think uh, but uh, but there was care. They were very careful about what they released. And some things there was one scroll of Enoch that there were a couple of scrolls that were sold up front and they were uh -huh. sold or the the uh, the antiquity bureau could get their hands on the stuff coming the, out of the, the israeli antiquity is that the israeli antiquity israeli bureau? antiquity yeah it wasn't jordanian okay. it was israeli yeah it was mm -hmm. israeli. yeah and uh so okay. anyway, yeah, but, but you're raising some good issues about that and and of course you know this is the thing we have going on with all of the historic texts you know you've got mm -hmm. difficulties with all of it now we're in the process of um and I'm working with this fellow now in Britain, Malcolm David, great researcher. And we're looking at the, the lost 70 that are identified in Fort Ezra. And we think that we're going to be able to, you know, because knowledge keeps expanding, we're going to be able to decipher through this. and We're going to be able to find a lot of these texts. But one mm -hmm. thing about it, just the, just the mere rumors of them and whatever authentication we have right now is demonstrating a whole bunch of stuff that we didn't know before. So I'll just leave it to the, I'm going to leave it at this and I'm going to, I'm going to continue on from here.
Um, okay. I, I, I appreciate your comments on this. This is really good review. And it's the kind of thing, you know, don't give up on your quest. There is a lot of research to be done. And in all that research, we are, we're going to find more and more, but it will not ultimately change the truth of the, that's found in scripture. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So we'll, we'll talk again, talk again next week. Okay. All right. Thank you, brother. Say Dr. P and that Jeremiah 31, 31 be a future fulfillment to either a seventh or an eighth day fulfillment and not. Yeah, absolutely. It could days. be. Yeah, and that uh, Jeremiah 31, 31, you know, appears in Hebrews 8, 8, right? It's word for word. And uh, it could be a future fulfillment, that it could be that something that's going to happen in the millennial reign, that there's not going to be any more. Because there's other discussion, too. It's like in Jeremiah talks about, you're no longer going to talk about coming out of the land of Mizraim, but you're going to talk about the second exodus, when I rescued you from a new place and brought you out of the wilderness, right? And this and that second exodus has not yet happened yet either. And so they may be don't, tied together. Don't we sense the law is on our hearts and it and it is the witness to us that it's now, that it's not future, it's now? Well, I mean, I think for some of us, the law is on our hearts and it is, mm -hmm. and, and, and it has to do with the living Ruach HaKadosh, right? Because mm -hmm. Yah is living, he's not dead. And it's mm -hmm. not a dead word, right? And, and mm -hmm. so wouldn't it be nice if we were the ones who were, uh, the, the final arbiters about what was happening, but we're not. Yah does mm -hmm. much of it is mysterious, right? Mm -hmm. All right, so we'll leave it at that. Okay. 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 All right. So Sharka, I'm so happy you're here at the Sabbath meeting, and I saw your video, and I have to tell you, your video was just absolutely overwhelming. <laughs> uh, it was so, so much shalom. I mean, I was in tears watching it. Thank you. And you just, you made my day with that video. It was so, it was so blessed. And, uh, oh, Dr. Pichino, I'm so happy. <laughs> and, and so thank you for, thank you for that video. Thank you for being part of our fellowship. Thank you so much. Can you hear me? Did I yes. unmute it? Well, okay. Yes, I can. Well, yes, I can. So th this is my first fellowship here and I am so thankful and so happy. Because, you know, the, the fuzzy farness, as we are, it's very hard for us to, <laughs> to find some <laughs> Well, now you're from, are you from Prague or are you, are you from some other place in, in the Czech Republic? Uh, well, I was, I was born outside Prague, but we are living about an hour away from Prague, northeast. Okay. Vaha. So, and, you know, yeah. we have met some Christians here, but we haven't met, you know, like real fellowship and believers. And actually my husband and I, we have been in this walk for the past five years. And it's just like us and Facebook and YouTube, <laughs> no real fellowship. But I'm so thankful for you guys here because I really feel now like, you know, we are all in one room and having coffee and having, you know, this wonderful fellowship. And uh, thank you so much for the Zephyr. I, you know, have it here and I just can like, <laughs> so keep it, you know, I'm gonna keep it short. Uh, I would like to share a little, like a testimony. I was inspired by Alan's story. And so if, if I may just to share this little tiny, you know, uh, testimony as well about the pentagram. I used to be in, uh, in the New Age for 
quite long time, like 10 years. And Yahusha took us out of, you know, out of the new age. And I had so many things collected over the years. So I got rid of it all. And, you know, was like thinking I have nothing here anymore. It's all, the house is clean. And it just happened this past Yom Teruah. We are sitting in the living room and we are listening to the shofar on YouTube. And I'm kind of like, you know, swinging to the tunes and, you know, woo. <laughs> And it's almost like, you know, kind of in this wonderful joy and uh, in this uh, atmosphere, all of a sudden, somehow didn't even realize and my eyes fixed on a book under the table in a shelf in the living room. And I'm like, wait a minute, there is something that is not supposed to be here anymore. I'm like, I need take to take this book out from the, you know, from the shelf. He took it out and I'm like, oh my, we have a demon in the house here. And there was this big that I totally forgot about. And it was just quietly sitting there doing its own thing. And it was like a medicinal, medicinal book about uh, you know, mm -hmm. remedies and stuff. But it had this big pentagram right on, you know, on the cover and these herbs. So I kind of, you know, I took it and I'm looking at, you know, and the index and I'm like, of course, it, it, it's all witchcraft and the potions and lotions and all kind of things. And I'm like, how did I miss this one? How did I miss this book? I thought, you know, everything was gone. So my husband took it and said, well, we have to burn it now. I'm like, you better go burn it now. So he took the book, went to his parents' garden, throw it in, into the, the, the fireplace outside. But when he come back, you know, when he got back, he said, I tried to, you know, I was light, lighting the book, nothing. I'm like, like this big, huge lighter, nothing. He said the book just didn't want it to catch on fire. So he had to pour the gas over it. And then, you know, <laughs> but I wasn't there. <laughs> so, and literally he said then like, you know, when he, turned the lighter on it was like this explosion said, <laughs> I could even see it I wasn't there but I could imagine because I'm like well, well where is he you know just five minutes away should be like an hour later he came home like Ooh. but he said oh, but, I, <laughs> but he said I tell you this the demons I heard the demons cry I heard the demons cry he said it was like weeping, literally weeping and different like squeaking and weeping coming out of the fire. And he said it, it took a long time for the book to burn, totally light burn out. And the pentagram right on the cover was the last thing to burn. I'm like, yep. there had to be some, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this said, is a true testimony. I, now, can I share something with you here, Sharka? Yes, yes, you know, years absolutely. Years ago, I mean, we're talking, we're talking, you know, 45 years ago, maybe something like this. A friend of mine wanted to play uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, AD&D it's called. So I didn't know anything about this thing. He says, well, we want you to come and play this game. And I'm thinking, okay, all right. So I get over and anyway, they had this character sheet you had to make up. You know, So I make up this character sheet. And so I'm there for like two weeks. And then the guy who was at the thing, he says, well, I want you to be the dungeon master. And I said, what does that mean? He says, here, take these books home and learn these books so that you can be the dungeon master. 
And so I take these books home and it's like Demons 1 and Demons 2. And I'm looking at these books as like, these are real demons, you know? And I'm going, whoa, unbelievable. Wow, wow, wow. You know, so when I realized these were real demons, I took the books back to them. I said, here, you can keep the books and I'm not doing this anymore. And so I go home and I was getting ready to go to work. <clears throat> it was about six o'clock in the morning. So I took that character sheet and I rolled it up into a ball and I put it in my fireplace and I lit it, right? And I lit it. So one sheet of paper, I lit it and I left and I went to work. I came home that night at 5.30, it was still burning. That single sheet of paper was still burning, had been burning for almost 12 hours, right? And so I know what you're talking about when you're talking about that book burning and you know, screaming in it and so on and so forth. I mean, guess where they were residing, right? They had a place to hide. Absolutely. And the pentagram being the last thing to go, yeah. Oh my, I'll tell you that. And but the truth is that the demons literally take on, they hold onto objects and they can be there for years. They don't care. They don't have to go nowhere. They can be, you know, they can stay attached to certain objects and they take on the energies and the characters of the symbolism of all the symbols and you know, whatever's on it. And if I may, uh, that's what I, I kind of recently realized. My brother went, um, one of my brothers just went to Egypt. And he came home, they went on vacation in Egypt and, you know, got all these souvenirs and stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute, souvenirs must be one of the number one things that, you know, the demons are kind of attached to. Because what are, you know, all these souvenirs, you have uh, the pyramids and you have all, all those gods and goddesses. Oh, yeah, particularly the one, you know, the, you know, the one that's half bird, half man. Right, I Hot. forget the name. What what they call it? It's half. He's half bird, half man. That is the angel yes. of death. And you I bring know. that little souvenir home. I mean, that is just like no, don't let that Absolutely. come in your house. Absolutely. So Please. I don't want no souvenir. So literally, the house, and literally after that, as Ellen said, ah, oh, I got lighter. We could breathe better, you know. So we're still searching for items here, but there's nothing here anymore. So you know, we are like so happy, but we just kind of forgot this one thing. So that's the, the story I wanted to share. Well, Sharka, blessings just, to you. Thank you for joining our fellowship. Doctor, doctor, please, Dr. Pichit. And I have a one request. I have been handicapped physically for the past eight years. It's a part of my journey. It's part of this. I'm not complaining, but can I have a prayer for that? I'm just tired already. It's been a lot of pain. And if I can, you can just have a, you know, if you can just. I don't know how you can be smiling with all that pain going on. That's another story. But um, yeah, oh, that's, that's the last. Let's, let's, let's pray for you right now. We'll pray for you. Thank right you. Now. And thank you, everybody. Thank you so much as well. <laughs> thank you. So, Heavenly Father, we give thanks for Sharka joining us and being part of our fellowship. Father, thank you for bringing her to us and, uh, and being part of our community. Father, we want to lift her up and, and lift up those who are in pain right now. That uh, that your hand of mercy would be upon us, Father, and that you would take the pain, take the pain away, and alleviate the pain, Father, in accordance with your divine will. Father, we also pray for whatever healing that you desire to be upon us, that you would unleash that now, Father, healing from the tip of the toe to the top of the head, Father, that as we believe in your name, believe in who you are, believe in your divine mercy, that you would restore us in accordance with your divine will. Papa, to the place you want us to be. And we pray for Sharka that you would 
relieve her of her handicap and that you would restore her, Father, even by a divine miracle, by your providence, Father, that these things would happen, that she would raise up to be a strong testifier for your name, which she's going to testify to anyway, Father. But we just pray for this sister that your mercy would be upon her, Father, that you would just put an untold blessing upon her in that respect, Father, and that these pains would, would be abated. Now, Father, we know you're watching us now. You're upon us now. And we just pray for your blessing, Father. This would be the case. Hear our prayers, oh, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you that I finally found this fellowship family, which I, I, I just feel like, you know, I'm home and I'm so happy. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Good to see you, Sharka. Good to see you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Mia, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? How are you? Very good, good very you. good. You too. Okay, it's pretty dark in here, but it's okay. I have a question for you, but first I must share. Can you actually hear me? Because I'm I, wearing these I can headphones. Hear you. Yes, okay, I can. good. Excellent. Uh, you were talking about this Isaiah 31 um, new covenant thing, and yes. I'm, I'm I'm a baby. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I feel like the Ruach has taught me many things just by reading his word. I, um, I have heard interesting things uh, sometimes and and I my, it, ha it has blown my mind away and I have always been taught that we are in the new covenant but I remember once when I was reading this Isaiah 31 uh, verses about the new covenant and I just heard a voice in my in, in my spirit saying this is a future prophecy and this is exactly what I heard this is a future prophecy and I was just totally blown away and I couldn't understand it and I've been trying to figure out ever since like what what does the Lord mean by this but actually now that I I looked it up again I, it makes perfect sense because it talks about the Yashrael, the families of Yashrael who've been who've been saved um let's see who've been left of this short uh, sword found grace in the wilderness they've been left of the sword like the sword of the sword of Yah and the judgments have come already and we have been left and um and now and then taken taken to our new destination and actually what is interesting in the Finnish bible there's um there's a heading for this whole chapter and it's the renewal of Yasharel it says the, the renewal, renewal of Yasharel uh, in the English cage Renewal of Yashrael. Uh, the KJV says uh, the regathering of Yashrael. But I mean, the whole chapter talks about how 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 Yahushua will just like deliver his people, bring them through the wilderness, like you said. The the wilderness is the the Exodus, and bringing us to the, the regathering of Yashrael to our new destination with the Lord, and um, how he will put his spirit inside of us and we will be renewed it is like the transformation isn't it and it, it is it is mind-blowing and i'm the thing i'm still questioning is like are we in the old covenant then if if yeah this is really like his ah. revelation that we're not there yet are we in the old then and is that why he's bringing us back to to find back to the old um old testament and and keeping the torah and his um, his commandments that we uh, we are like this child who has lost its identity and understanding that we are the Yashrael and we need to keep the commandments and now he's bringing us back it's like and I've been thinking also that are we the 10 lost tribes of Yashrael 
who have lost their identity and their understanding who they are. And now oh, it's bringing so us true. Back. It's so true. Yeah. I mean, all of things, all of these <laughs> things are true. Mia. And, you know, when we look at the, when we look, you know, I really believe that first of all, you have in the old covenant, we have these 10 commandments that Yah gave to us to live in them, that we would have life and life more abundantly. In the new covenant, he's still going to have the same 10 commandments. They're just going to be something that we don't have to think about. They're just going to be poured into us. So on one hand, we have to study and the other hand, we don't, but it's the same 10 commandments, the same covenant, right? The renewed covenant in Mashiach is a different kind yeah. of a renewed covenant because what happened with Mashiach is that we were condemned. We were condemned. And this is what happened because the house of Yasharel fell away. The house of Yehuda fell away. They fell away. We fell into apostasy. And we fell into apostasy so deeply and so badly that Yah was disgusted with us. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. I'm not going to have anything more to do with it. I'm going to disperse you all over the world. But the truth be told is that on one hand, that looks like punishment. But mm-hmm. it really isn't punishment. It was Yah dispersing the house of Israel to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and saying, I'm going to put my people all over the earth now so that my seed, my blood will be in all the people of all the earth. And this is what this is what he has done. So it's not as much punishment as you might think. It's like even when the when the persecution came on the initial church, you know, following the death of Mashiach. They were persecuted there in Jerusalem. So what they do? They went all over the place. And the next thing you know, the faith was found everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so this is not a bad thing. This is just Yah's doing in the way he's done it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and it, it, the iniquity of Israel yeah. just recently came to an end. The iniquity of Israel, which the punishment began in 722 BC, it was going to be for 390 years. But because Israel did not repent, it was increased sevenfold. So it was increased to 2,780 years or something. Anyway, the long and the short of it is after you take the 722 out, yeah. 2,730 years, it, the iniquity of Israel finally came to an end in 2008. And when it did, the original covenant that was poured out to the house of Yasharel, which was in the Ten Commandments, came right back into full play. Okay, I gave you guys an emergency way to find your way into heaven. But those days are over. Now you're called to be Yasharel again. You're called to be, I am going to be the Elohim who spoke to you from the Mount of Horeb. You are the people who that I spoke to. You are called to be Yasharel again. This is my covenant. Stand up and be part of this covenant. And so this is who we are. Now this covenant will be renewed. It's going to be renewed again in, in a different way. This miracle of, of Jeremiah 31, 31, Hebrews 8, 8. You know, when you look at the passage there in verse 35, it says, thus says Yahweh, which gives sun for a light by day and the ordinance of the moon and the stars for light by night, which divides the sea when the waves therefore roar. Yahweh Sebaot is, is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says Yahweh, then the seed of Yasharel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Mm-hmm. Thus says Yahweh, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off the seed of Yasharel for all they have done, says Yahweh. Behold, the days come, say Yahweh, that the city shall be built to Yahweh from the tower of Hananel unto the gate of the corner. And the measuring line shall go forth, the breath again, the breath of the measuring line, shall go forth over against it upon the hill of Gareb. It shall compass about the Goathah. And the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and of all the fields under the brook of Kidron, under the corner of the horse gate toward the east, shall be holy unto Yahweh. 
it shall not be plucked up nor thrown down anymore forever. New Jerusalem shall be built. New Jerusalem shall be built. And if you can measure heaven, then you know when he's going to cast off the seed of Yasharel. He's not going to cast off the seed of Yasharel. And because he's not going to cast off the, the, the seed of Yasharel, behold, the day shall come when I shall build new Yerushalayim. And I shall build mm -hmm. new, new Yerushalayim with what? The same covenant I gave before you, right? Yeah. He says, if, he says, if the sun goes out and the stars and the moon disappear, then my ordinances will disappear. But not before then. What does Mashiach say? Heaven and earth may pass away. My word shall never pass away. Yeah. So yes, we're called into this. We're called into a covenant expression. And in this covenant expression, whether we're called into it by we have to study it and learn it, or we're called into it by the Ruach HaKodesh pouring it into us, mm -hmm. nonetheless, it's the same covenant. It's the same ordinance. It's the same word. It's the same breath of life that Yah has given us. And it's a breath of life that is really, I mean, it's not a burdensome thing. You can, you need to take one day in uh, seven and rest. That's legalism. What are you trying to do? Burden <laughs> yeah, me yeah. with all kinds of rules? No, I'm trying to give you a day of rest. Hello. Yeah. You know, yeah. right? Yeah. So. That's the state we're in. The or yeah, yeah, the people of God are totally lost. <laughs> they just don't know it yet. Yeah, <laughs> they well, think they're all saved. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully yeah. people are going to find their way out of the um out of the deception of Rome and into the true faith. And you know, the more they do, the the better off everybody is, really. The world becomes yeah. a better place under the hands of Yah. Well, thank you, Mia. So thank yeah, you. And one more thing, when Yahushua was talking about the new covenant, he, and he said that we need to take the communion to remember the new covenant, wasn't that because um, he was kind of preaching the, the kingdom gospel? He came to bring us the, the lost sheep of the house of Yashrael. Uh, he came to take us back. And we have found this, uh, um, we have found him through through that, like we found Jesus first and then we, we, we got Christianity and all, uh, if we are the lost tribes. And um, I was just thinking like, maybe, maybe because in the new, in the new Testament, Yahushua is talking about the new covenant. We, we got it wrong. We thought that we are already there, but, but Yahushua just came to proclaim that he, he, that he is building his kingdom and one day he's coming back and he, he's, he will gather us and take us there. And uh, that is the good news, isn't it? And, but we're, we're not there yet. <laughs> we're, we're on our journey, right? Yeah, so, well, I, you my, know, we, you know, don't, don't, don't get him crossed up here because with... with though in the spirit, we are in a way, but yeah, I don't know. Yashis, it's complicated. Yashis, you know, the thing is, the door was closed to us. And mm. by his oh, word, right. the door was opened to us. It was reopened. And he proclaimed mm -hmm. the Brit Hadashah, the renewal of the covenant. It's not, it's like when you get a new moon, you don't get a new moon. I mean, it's like, not oh, like yeah, take yeah. the object in the yeah. sky and then blow that up and ship it out to Pluto. We're going to bring in a new one. That's not yeah. what happens. You get a new cycle. And it's, that's, so the word there is Chodesh, but it's the same thing with the renewal of the covenant. The word is Chadash. It's not a new covenant. It's a renewed covenant. It's a that's renewed right. covenant that is made in his blood. And in that renewed covenant made in his blood, where we were separated from Yah, we're no longer separated. Where we were unredeemable mm -hmm. before, we are now redeemable. We are now made 
you know, in the likeness and with, with the forgiveness of Yah because of the shed blood of Mashiach. Yeah, and yeah. so this is not a brand new covenant, but a renewed yeah. covenant, a covenant that is brought back, that's restored. And this covenant is brought back in the blood of Mashiach and is made applicable to us. But even this applicability to us was not fully known until our own iniquity finally ended, until the punishment for our iniquity finally ended, which took 2,000 years. You know, mm -hmm. it took time. So we had all of these things in front of us, but now we're here. And so things are beautiful, things are wonderful. And mm -hmm. now uh, the only thing left to do is World War III. No, I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. I'm just... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and isn't this, isn't this what dispensationalism has taught us, that we, we can forget about the Old Covenant and the uh, Old Testament, and we are in the new. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I just interject one thing? How I've always read this as renewed is not, the covenant isn't changing. It is forever. It is unchangeable. It is us who are renewed it is us who are washed by the blood of Messiah yeah, that we can now be renewed. It is us that is renewed, not the covenant on the, on, on your side. It's our side. Yeah. Good point. We said very good point. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, this idea of dispensationalism is actually a Marcionic teaching that the God of the new Testament is different than the God of the old Testament. And if that's true, then you have to stop using the name Messiah. Messiah is a designation that comes from the Hebrew text. And you have to delete, you can't, there's no more talking about him being of the line of David. There's no more discussion about him being the, the fulfillment of the prophecy of Moshe, or the prophecy of Isaiah, or the prophecy of Jeremiah, or none of that. Mm -hmm. If he's a new God, then just whip the Old Testament out of your book and deal with it. And that was dismissed as heresy 1,800 years ago. But it comes back, right? Mm -hmm. Do I have time for another question, or do I leave it later? Do I have go time ahead. for another? Well, <laughs> we've got a, a lot of one. people here, but go ahead. Okay, sorry. Um, this is about Ezekiel. And um, is it possible that the whole vision of Ezekiel is talking about the judgment of the U.S. and the Babylon? Babylon? The mystery of Babylon. What are your What are your thoughts about, on that? Talking about Ezekiel thirty-eight. No, the whole whole book, the whole vision, because God gave him a vision about the judgment of Yisrael and and the land of Yisrael and and their people and and I think I think I've once heard you say that why it could talk about the judgment of the U.S. is because all the tribes of Yisrael are are in the U.S. represented there. You are That's a melting true. pot. That's so, true. This yeah. is actually one of the things I also heard when I when I read the book and I heard that this is talking about the U.S., the whole book. And yeah, that is true. one thing I'm still uh, seeking the out. Is that there are other nations on earth that are every bit as sinful as the U.S. or more. But the U.S. obtained its prosperity because it was righteous when it was first created. It sought righteousness as a nation. It had mm -hmm. a blessing that was superior to the blessing in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. because they sought a greater righteousness than the United Kingdom. And then we squandered it. And after World War II, we have absolutely walked away from it. We've done everything the prophecy said we would do. We would grow fat, and we would grow uh, complacent, and then we would mm -hmm. fall away. We did all of that. And yeah. so now all the tribes are here, and we think that we're going to have an unending blessing that we take for granted, mm -hmm. and we don't. 
because we've grown fat and we haven't renewed ourselves. We have not renewed ourselves to the covenant. We have not repented. And so even though other nations on the earth may be as wicked or even more wicked, judgment is going to come to the house of Yasharel first mm-hmm. because we, we have forsaken his blessing. Yeah. And it uh, and Ezekiel talks about this woman who was uh, who was addressed by God. She was beautiful. She had all the jewelry and everything. God had poured out His love on this woman, but then she became a whore, and she did a lot of idolatry. And 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 I was thinking, if this is talking about the two women of Revelation as well, that they are the same person. That the that the the bride became a whore. And who actually rides the beast? It makes a, it makes sense that the, maybe the the woman in Revelation who rides the beast is the U.S. because you you will ride the beast system. You will be the leader of the world uh, in that sense. And then, but you are whoring right now. But one day he will purify you as like a bride uh, through the fire. You will become a purified bride. I, I don't know. This well, is just Nancy, me. Is it the same woman? I think I think the whore on the on the beast is the Roman Church, okay. and she is the mother of harlots, and the harlots are the Protestant churches. Mm-hmm. And you know, so she has her body of harlots, and they they have gone to whoring. I mean, what is the whoring described in Scripture? But I think it Ezekiel is, describes. Sorry, sorry yeah, to interrupt. I think. Okay. <laughs> well, let, me, let me say this. Yeah. Whoring is described in the Scripture as going after other gods, right? When you have, yeah, yeah. when you are, yeah. your your allegiance, your your love is with other gods. Well, look at how many gods there are in the Roman church, right? There's Mithras, mm-hmm. there's Ishtar, there's Dagon, there's Baal, there's uh, Isis, there's uh, there's uh, uh, Nimrod, there is uh, Osiris, there's uh, Seth. All that stuff is all expressed in the, in the Roman ideology. Mm-hmm. There, they have multiple lovers, the Roman uh- church. Okay. And the Protestant churches are her daughters. That's why I believe that that is. But I mean, I'm I'm not saying that the prophecy of Ezekiel or even more poignant, the prophecy is of Jeremiah 50 and 51. I think they very definitely point to the United States. And if you read Mm -hmm. for Ezra, for Ezra, second Ezra's, Mm -hmm. if you read this, you're going to see that that is very particular about the U.S. and the eagle and all that other stuff. It's very, very particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but I, I just found it interesting that Ezekiel and John in Revelation described this this whore, this woman, uh, the same way. They were they had the same kind of jewelry and, 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 and clothing and so on. So they were very similar. Just, just, just a thought. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Okay, okay. Yeah, we'll look. Thank you very Thank much. You. This is interesting, and I, I could go on and on and on. This is so interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to have, we'll, we'll just have to save it for another Shabbat. Yeah, yeah, sure. Or we can talk a yeah. little bit more. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank okay, you. Mia. God bless. Thank Bye-bye. You. Okay. Hey, hey, Randall, how are you? Hey, brother. Good to see you. Hey, you too. Doing all right. Um, this is something I've been meaning to ask for a long time, and I keep forgetting. Um and it's, I don't know if it's something that you ever thought of, but, um, you know, Michael Rood, he, he, he spent many years synchronizing the Gospels. Is it possible, is it something, do you think it is possible to synchronize the prophets? Find common events in each one that line up? Because 
you know, I'm, I haven't studied the prophets like in great depth, but you know, yeah. a lot of that stuff is. Are, yeah, I mean, I think I think there is the a lot of synchronization. Yeah, I think there is a lot of synchronization you can do. And one one place you can start is with Ezekiel in the proper order, right? We have a copy right. of that at the Sefer. I have a copy of that. Download it from your from your site. Yeah, I mean that's one one thing that might help you in terms of synchronizing. But you know, you but a lot of these prophets came at different times, right? Some of them were much earlier than others, and so trying to synchronize. But you, but yeah, I mean, I would encourage you to do it. I mean, there's been many people who have tried to synchronize Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, the Book of Revelation together, right? Well, you said Daniel was out of order too. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, you can tell Daniel's out of order because in chapter six, Belteshazzar dies, but in chapter eight, he's alive again. What's he doing alive in chapter eight when he when he died in chapter six? Well, it tells you it's, it's out of order. Not as badly out of order as Ezekiel is. Ezekiel is splattered all over the curve, right? Do you think that um, that's how that's how Daniel sealed up the book? Um, or yeah, you know what? Um, Oh gosh, Eric Bessel thinks that the the changing of the font is how he sealed up the word and to hide it until the end. You know, that's I mean that's very possible. I mean, when you're talking about uh, Daniel, Daniel is kind of a weird book because it was written in Aramaic, yeah, and not in Hebrew. And so a lot of the words you get there are Aramaic expressions, which Strong's will tell you. But uh, um, you know, was it sealed up by taking it out of the Paleo Hebrew and put it into the Babylonian script? Maybe. Yeah, because it was it was happening during that time when Daniel was was in captivity when when he was got shown these these visions, and um, when he told him to seal up the book. Uh, you know, this is Eric's take was that he that's when the font changed from the Paleo to the Babylonian script. The Babylonian, the the Aramaic block script. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's when it did change. It was in that period of time, right? That we saw that change. So, I mean, it's possible, it's possible. But I mean, I would encourage you. I mean, if you're going to try to sync up the prophecies, you wouldn't be the first one. But it's definitely a good study to, you know, in particular, you can start by trying to link Daniel to Revelation. They're very closely related. Time, times, and half a time, twelve hundred and sixty days, forty-two months. All of that stuff are interrelated, right? Uh, well, you've already footnoted a lot of that stuff. Um, in Revelation, where you were the, you know, this this particular thing came from Isaiah and this became from Ezekiel. Yep. Yep. That's right. And so that's a great place to try to to start the sinking. Now, can you sink the minor prophets in there? I think you can. How about Zechariah and his four horsemen? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's very well synced up. Or or even Zechariah and the uh, you know, the the missile in the silo. That's another one, right? That it'll be located in Shinar. Well, now we know, guess what? You know, all of a sudden, Iran is sending thousands of missiles to Russia that you know no one knew that it, the Iranians had. Oh, yeah, we're going to send these and these and these and these. And the Israelis are going, hey, wait a minute. that You had all those? Oh, yeah. We got thousands to send to Russia, which means we've got thousands to spare. Well, and look at how they're doing against all the air defense systems. They're working very, very effectively. So guess what? The missile is found in Shinar, just as, yeah. as, as spoken in Zechariah. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say, you know, I mean, uh, try it, Randall. Go for it. Okay. All right.
Okay, brother. All right. All right. Appreciate All right, you, brother. Yeah, hey, you too, Randall. I'm going to keep going here. Go ahead. Okay, Serena's tribe. Come in. You're you're live. You're on the air. Hi, Pigeon. Shabbat Hi. shalom. Shabbat shalom. Um, I have just a quick question. I've been searching for months for a children's Bible that has the set apart names or even just one that's not, doesn't hurt the words so much as all the ones that I found. Do you have any suggestions? You know, I don't. You know, we had somebody come to us um, 10 years ago, maybe, and said, look, we've got all of this, you know, cartoon stuff that we did for the script, and we don't have any scripture to put in it. Would you be interested in doing this? And I'm thinking, yeah, we would be, but, you know, we don't have the 100,000 bucks it's going to take to do it. You know, it actually be more than that now, quite a bit more than that to be able to do it. And so in terms of a children's book, I mean, that's going to be a very tough, that's going to be a very difficult issue. A tough one. Can right I jump now, in and just let you know that Sacred Book Publishing, then Garcia, his sons just started publishing children's books. Oh, okay. Are you talking about uh, Justin Garcia? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Justin and, uh, Justin and his wife, Joy. I mean, those two are, what a couple they are, man. They're just fantastic. Love them to death. Yeah, so that's a, that's a place to check, Serena. Check with, uh, with Sacred Book Publishing, okay? What's it called again? Sorry, what publishing? Is it Sacred Word or Sacred Book Publishing? Which one is it, Laurie? It's Sacred Word. Sacred okay. Word Publishing, yeah. Yeah, awesome. that's Justin Thank Garcia you. stuff. Yeah, that'll, that'll okay. do something, okay? Great, right. Thank you. <laughs> Let's drop. Well, let's go to Doug Fassett. Doug, how are you, brother? I'm I'm doing doing. I'm surviving. <laughs> Not right, really good, but, uh, there you go. but I'm battling through. Okay. Uh, I got a couple of things. One, um, my my full name is John Douglas Fassett, and my second cousin. Nine times removed back in the uh, revolutionary days, uh, was the uh, Secretary of Treasury of the uh, Kingdom of Vermont and uh, a signatory when uh, uh, Vermont became a, uh, a, the 14th state, the first country to join the United States. Sorry, Texans. And uh, it, it came in as a free state. And it was as a free country. And that was in its constitution that, uh, that uh, slavery, slavery was prohibited. Uh, what they're doing, and, and he further went on and, and helped frame the constitution of Vermont and now they're proposing an abomination. It's uh, proposal five on the ballot. And it's article 22, personal reproductive liberty, that an individual's right to personal reproductive autonomy is central to the liberty and dignity 
to determine one's own life course and shall not be denied or infringed unless justified by a compelling state interest achieved by the least restrictive means. This is an absolute abomination. And if it happens to Vermont, it's, it deserves what it gets, unfortunately. But well, I once feel again, here we are, Doug. Here we are when you talk about this. Yeah. Right. We are talking about the idea of, oh, this is a fundamental liberty interest, right? Well, but I'm going to speak out about it vehemently in the next in the next weeks because it's a it's a I came back to Vermont. This is our ancestral place that we we established as a free kingdom. And to see this destroyed by the usurpers and, and those that come in to try to destroy it is just, it's personal. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, we have the same issue up here, you know. Yeah. The, um, uh, you know, there's, there's so many issues facing us here in Alaska. You know, indigenous people's rights, uh, what we're going to do with the wildlife here, uh, how we are going to reassert righteousness in sacred ground. And what do we get? The very first, you know, the woman who looks like she's going to win the House of Representatives, very first thing that comes out of her mouth is, oh, I'm pro-choice. We have to support a woman's right to choose. Well, look, the indigenous people, there's a war going on against the indigenous people with the snake bite. They're trying to kill all of them right now. And, you know, and you have the depravity that goes on in the villages where they're deprived of this, that, and the other thing. So the suicide rate is four times higher in the villages than it is anywhere else in the United States. And, you know, and they feed alcohol into that system and they, you know, and there's no future for them at all because, oh, well, you need to have your indigenous rights and so on. And so this war is going on with these people. And the first thing that happens when they get a representative that can represent them, the first thing that comes out of her mouth is, don't forget to kill your kids. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, look, this is not a liberty interest, right? What does the scripture say? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. There is no other freedom beyond the truth. So that's the truth of it, Doug. So uh, listen, I, I share your passion, brother. And I know what you're talking about because Yah brings us home to our homelands. That's what he's done recently for a lot of us. And because he's brought us home, we don't want to come home to a place that's not sacred, right? Right. So I'm with you, brother. Let's work. Let's do what we can, okay? Right. Uh, another another thing is I'm going to send you a list of uh, all of the, uh, uh, all of Taz that uh, uh, confirm that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Roman, uh, and Revelation were written in Hebrew. It, 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 unquestionable. I'll, let, I'll send you a list of, of where the words are, where the roots, root words do not include the Aleph Ta, but where they're used in context, that they are preceded by the Aleph Ta. Um, Perfect. I appreciate that, Doug. Thank you. Uh, also, uh, 
Well, my friend Jason has a, a question for you. He's standing right here. So go ahead. Dr. P, you were talking about pentagrams, uh, five-sided stars. Does that include six-sided? Well, the six-sided star, you know, is, is generally construed as the Star of David. And the Star of David, while you're asking that question, Jason, I hope you can see the screen here. Because fortunately, I have a whiteboard here. <laughs> Well, the reason I'm asking is if you look at your video real quick. Yeah. Uh, well, you got what I'm what I'm about to say. This just proves it. I was a member of the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office uh, when Joseph R. Pio was the sheriff. Okay, so you like you know you know uh, Mike. Uh, what's his name? Mapuzo. What's his name? Mike. Um... Yeah, anyway, were you part of the cold cold case posse? Uh, we won't get into my involvement on this particular media, but just for proof, there's my shield, there's my department ID. Okay. okay. You and I can speak about that at a, at a later date. Okay, fair enough. Okay, thank you. I just want to make sure that it wasn't a um oh no the six-pointed star i mean a lot of people say that the six-pointed star is the star of of rem fan i don't believe that i think the eight-pointed star is the star of rem fan <clears throat> and uh here let me go back to the whiteboard a minute i know what you're talking about brother you're talking about your shield yeah i understand that yes sir when you take a look at the when you okay so this is quite often so you see often with the church department you'll see um You'll see these buttresses here too at the corners, right? Kind of like this. And uh, so, yeah. Now, this this particular star <clears throat> is the star of David. It's missing this because what this is is the Dalit in Paleo Hebrew, the Dalit. <clears throat> and as the our Father prayer says, "Let your will be done on earth." So that would be this way, as uh -huh. it is in heaven, which is this way. Okay. Now, <clears throat> with the name David in Paleo, the name David in Paleo looks like this. This is why they call it the Star of David, because it has two Dalits, two Dalits. But technically, it should have the Bab here in the middle. And it doesn't. And the, the reason it doesn't in Israel is because. They don't have the Messiah. So this is missing. But when you're talking about the typical sheriff's badge, you're talking about um, something that really doesn't depict the um, uh, necessarily the star, but rather it has you know, this idea, right? Of, um, you know, I'm going to draw. I'm, well, I'm not going to draw because I'm just screwed up and make, make a mess out of it. But yeah, I appreciate that. But when you're talking about the star of Rem Fan, the star of Rem Fan is this. And uh, let me correct that here in just a minute. We'll get a little better drawing going here. Um, yeah, so the star of Rem Fan, you have this idea of the equilateral cross, and then you have these additional crossings here. And then this is often tied together like this. And so generally you see this star on top of Christmas trees. And 
<clears throat> so forth. And this start actually depicts uh, this depicts the the two the the solstices and the two equinoxes, and it also predicts the witchcraft high holy days like Beltane and Samhain and so forth around this. That's why I believe this is the star of Renthan, not mm -hmm. the six-pointed star. So that's my take on it. I do appreciate that. Thank you, Jason, for bringing that up. And thank you for letting me know where you, uh, you know, what your roots are there. Because you and I will, you know, we can have a long discussion about that. Talking about Yes, sir, sure, we can. Um, I, I, I just wanted to make sure I didn't have to figure out a way to melt this thing. No, you don't have to. No, I don't. No, I don't think so. I think, look, when you talk about the six-pointed star, okay, there's a lot of people who want to say, well, all things Jewish are horrible, and therefore the, the Star of David is a fake star, and it's a Star of Renfan. And I just don't buy that. I think the Star of Renfan is a symbol that comes out of Babylon, and it's a symbol, the Babylonian symbol is that eight-pointed star, and it's an eight-pointed star that symbols, symbolizes uh, sun worship, what it wants to. That's why it's a Babylonian symbol, okay? So we'll leave Dr. it at that. Dr. P? Yeah, Dr. Hi, May I make a comment, please? Of course. Okay. As far as I know, to us, it, it is not a star. It's the shield of David. Yeah, the shield of David. Yeah. Yeah. Ken. Yeah. And so, again, you know, you're talking it, about the, the, the two Dalits, David da and da. Ken. Dalits. Ken. So all, all he has to do is put a, the, the, the sign which you showed him on the okay, middle. Okay, so I'm going to have him move, baby. Beep, beep. But it's Beep. the shield of David. It's, 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 not a, it's not a star. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. Thank you, Raina. Thank you. Not a star, but rather okay. a shield. Yeah, yeah, thank that, you. That, that actually puts my mind at ease. It, it's, it's kind of funny, though, when I was uh, the person who swore me in when I took my oath, my the shield that he actually gave me was shield number six six six. Yes. And he said, "No, no, 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 no. I'm I'm not giving you that shield. People that have that shield have nothing but problems." And he ended up giving me a different one. <laughs> yeah, that's outstanding. That's great to hear. You know, it's just really good to talk with you, Jason. I'll tell you, you know, that whole thing that happened with the. Uh, cold case posse and all of that, you know, we were doing all that research. Uh, you know, I mean, it almost ended up, it might be killed during that period of time. And so it was, um, you know, those, those were difficult days for sure, but you know, we did what we could do. And I miss uh, Sheriff Joe. Yeah. 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 Sheriff Joe was, uh, he was quite, quite the persona, that guy. <laughs> he, he was, was a true, sheriff. he was a true sheriff, you know, he was a true sheriff, right? He, he, oh. he supported the law, right? Oh, Absolutely. Um, I don't know if you've ever met him, but it, when you met him, this is what he would say. You may not you, you may not know it, but I get I get sued six times a day. And if his phone rings before you even look at it, he goes, well, that makes seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll tell you what, man, that takes a steel, a steel neck right there. Roger that. Yeah, you and I, you and I will speak. Yeah, we'll have to do that. Well, thanks, Jason. I'm glad you're hanging out with Doug too. By the way, that's great. Father, put me here. Y'all will put me here. 
And we've been together for uh, a year and a half here, uh, living in Northern Vermont uh, with another brother who uh, provided the place at a very low rent and um, takes, takes good care of us. That's good to hear. And, and you know, now's the time of year where it's time to put a few logs into the Blaze King and get that wood stove to cranking, right? Yeah, wish we had one. We're in a, <laughs> a double wide trailer type. Uh, electricity goes out. We've got to get out of here. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll pray that that doesn't happen, right? Okay. All right, brothers. Well, well thank you. Thank you much. Thank you. Okay, Mary, how are you? Oh, hi, Mary. I was having, hi, I was trying to figure out how to unmute. Hi, Dr. P. I just want to thank you for teaching us the name. I can't tell you how my heart sinks every day when I think about it, when I praise with it. Oh, thank you, Dr. P. Well, what I'm thankful to those people who taught me the name too. I mean, I'll tell you what, it's, there's, there's a group of us out there now and, uh, you know, the name is, um, it's a wildfire that can't be put out now. And yeah, yeah, I think the Pur yeah. Puritans were missing out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they were. Yeah, they were. Yes, they were. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, thank I you, Mary. Yeah, well, anyway, I just wanted to tell people that, um, well, I wanted to ask you, it's been on my mind. I read a book with um, Jeremiah put together in sequel, sequential order of the kings. And it really helped me and then kind of put it back into revelation. But I was always wanting to ask because Ezekiel was so hard for me to follow. And when it got put in order, you know, really understood a lot better. But so I was just going to, I've always wondered if I'm way out of bounds by, <laughs> by looking at it that way. But I don't think so now. So. I just no, wanted I don't think to thank so either. everybody. I mean, Ezekiel is always, it was like a splatter. You know, you open it up to that first vision in Ezekiel 1. It's like, whoa, you know, where is this coming from? You know, and then you're trying to piece together the rest of the book. And it's so disjointed. Well, in the 12th month of the fourth year and in the second uh -huh. month of the sixth year, and the women, I thought we were just, wait, hold on, what? You know, and the <laughs> next thing, you know, you're trying to piece it all together. And somebody had an idea, well, we'll just splatter it like this and see if they can figure it out, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> So yeah, it's crazy, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember, I used to cry. I used to say, "What am I just so ignorant? I can't figure this out." <laughs> oh, so anyway, when I was so excited, I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Anyway, well, I just want to wish everybody a wonderful Shabbat. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, everybody. Blessings, Thank you, Doctor P. Thank you, Mary. Bye. Blessings. Okay, we've got one last one from uh, Live's iPhone, and then we're going to wrap it up for Shabbat. Thank you, Stephen. You bet. Um, I feel that you're the guy for this question I'm going to ask, but it's it's to get a historian expert opinion. And well, I wish I was an expert. You know what they say about an expert. Right? <laughs> you are. You're a legend. You're, you're a legend, Stephen. Okay, so don't worry about that. I'm but, a legend but, in my own mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember that one. Okay. Anyways, it it's 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 when you look at the, you know, these so-called English versions of the Bible for the past, you know, the last dozen or two made 
but you, they have, you know, some of them have a concordance, okay? And if you look up in that concordance, you could take the NIV since, you know, you stated it's the most famous or whatever, okay? But when you look in the concordance for the name Savior, you'll, it, we find that it says that Abba Yah is the Savior more times than his son. And so I just wanted to see what your thoughts were about the father being our savior. Well, that's a great point. And I'll tell you, all of that hinges around uh, Philippians 2.11. Philippians okay. 2.11. And I've, I've written three blogs on this topic. Uh, Where? Where? On, on the Sefer website. Okay. Sefer.net. Okay. Uh, and then go to go to resources, and then it'll take you to Stephen Pigeon's blog. And then just okay. look at Philippians two eleven. Philippians two eleven. Okay, I think I've I think I've seen it, but I'll I'll go get it. I'll go get it because it's really difficult because you have a question, and and I ask this question too, because when you get into that blog, we took a position that was uh, has been considered very radical in Philippians two eleven that Yahweh is Yahusha to the glory of Yah the Father. And people said, well, you can't say that. Well, we, we used the strict interpretation guidelines and how we construed the Greek, in particular, and how we construed the word kyrios versus kyrie versus kyrion in the, those three declensions and how that factored into this particular phrase. When I talked with other Greek experts, they agreed with me in, in our construction on that, on that passage. Now, the difficulty is, is that Paul... And, and Isaiah, they discuss about how Yahweh is the Savior and there is no other. And then Paul quotes that directly in the book of Romans. Then Paul in the book of Philippians is saying, well, Yahusha, every knee and every tongue shall bow and confess Yahusha. Well, didn't you just say that Yahweh was the name that every, you know, everybody was going to confess and every knee was going to bow to and every tongue confess? Well, yeah, Paul just said it in Romans and I, Isaiah just said it in 45. So how does... Yahusha become the name. And mm -hmm. it has to do with, and, and there's only one possible construction, which is the construction of Philippians 2.11, that Yahweh is Yahusha to the glory of Yah the Father. So the manifestation of Yahusha is Yahweh, the word made flesh. And that's what it is. It's a form of Yahweh. And you have to understand that. And, and if and if there's if if that is not understood in that context and in that way. Then Paul's a liar, Isaiah's a liar, Paul's a phony, and you know, and the whole thing is self-contradictory. And it can't be um, that. Uh, I, uh, you know, have been in a lot of places for a long time. And it's instrumental in the evangelical movement with all the heroes from Southern California to being with all the rabbis that started the messianic movement in the United States. I was with all those people from the get-go in each one of the foundations. Then I found out that my grandfather, when he was dying on his deathbed, told me I was Jewish. And so then I had to go figure out what that meant. So I quit being a messianic and I went to find out what that is. And I'm still working on that. But I, I had contracted the loss of breath in life and was urged by the spirit to go to an orthodox, orthodox temple on 
uh, Rosh Hashanah. And, and I was compelled to confess my shortcomings, my trespasses to the father. And I went to sleep that night after doing it and the next day and I woke up with a new heart in me physically. Whereas I couldn't walk five feet the previous day. Okay. You're kidding. Wow. No. And so, so I looked to him giving me that as a witness that there's something to him that we need. Like, it's almost, it's almost like, you know, it's like, it's like you are such a good teacher about that. It's not, it was never about sacrifice. It was about obedience. And is yeah. about abuse, is about obedience, okay? So how do we overcome that when everybody looks to the blood of the lamb being shed and all we see from it is bloodshed and war as a result? Yeah, I mean, great point. You know, when you talk about this, you know, when you talk about this, how do we overcome that? I mean, first of all, yeah. you yeah. know, Paul says, believe on him who raised Yahushua HaMashiach from the dead. Okay. Right. And Yahusha okay. himself says, I have declared your name unto them, Father. I've declared your name unto them. Is and that we'll in Philippians 2.11 uh, writing? Yeah. Well, Philippians 2.11 is correct. Yeah. But we have to keep in mind that there is little distinguishment between Yahweh and Yahusha, except that Yahusha is diminished somewhat from Yah the Father because he's in the flesh. And, and you can see this diminution when Yahusha says, I tell you the truth, only the Father knows when the heaven and earth will pass away. I don't know this thing, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the problem is what you're saying here, but hold on, let me, let me answer your question. Because of course. You've got a good point here. This is the thing is that when, when you say that the Christians are so quick to confess the blood of the Lamb because yes. they're misconstruing the reconciliation that Yah did to bring us back to Yah as a license to sin. And this is what you know. This is the, what Jude talks about specifically in the book of Jude. He said these wicked men crept in and taught lasciviousness. Wicked mm -hmm. men crept in and taught lasciviousness instead of teaching obedience to the Torah, and mm -hmm. instead of teaching reverence to Yah. Which, when Mashiach says, "How do you pray? Don't pray to me, dear Jesus." Yeah. Open your prayer with our Father. Direct That's your prayers to the father right mm -hmm. and so this is where it's but the church wanted such wanted a license to sin this is what the whole protestant movement has been about i want a license to sin i want a license to get divorced i want a license to to commit abortion i want a license to commit adultery i want a license to commit fornication are you going to give it to me or do i have to convert to something else mm. this is what a lot of this has been and this is misconstruing completely misconstruing the reconciliation of Yah's people to Yah through the blood of Mashiach, which was a great gift that he had done this to reconcile us. But this doesn't relieve us of the responsibility to be obedient to his word and to live out the life. Because what does it mean to say, oh, well, we're taught that the only, the only command is to love God. Just love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. What does that mean? Just have a nice feeling about him in your heart. No. First John tells us that this is the love of Yah, keeping his commandments. And Yahusha says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And furthermore, go forth and tell the whole world to obey all that I have commanded. 
this is really the truth of it. So yes, is it true that Yahweh restored a new heart in you? Yeah, it's true that Yahweh did that. Just as, as it's true that Yahweh lifted Yahusha from the grave and that he ascended into heaven and that he sits at the right hand of the father and will come to judge the living and the dead. I've seen, have, him seated, I've seen him seated at the right hand of the father and I know 1000% that is 100% true. Yeah, hallelujah. Thank you, brother. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. And listen, I, and I, hallelujah I, that you that you received a new heart. I mean, this is such a great blessing. I mean, I'm very oh, curious to hear that. It's amazing. Yeah, and so um, so anyway, yeah. So I mean, these are you know, it's these are difficult aspects of scripture. They're hard things to discuss and hard things to know. But nonetheless, we are called to know them and to understand them. That's part of what our fellowship is. Okay. So with that being said, we're going to pick up this conversation next Shabbat. So I Perfect. want to thank you, brothers and sisters. I just love you guys. Thank you for the conversation today. Welcome new people for being here. Good to see all the old faces again. I just love you guys. So I want to say Shabbat Shalom. It's been a blessing to be before Yah today and to be in his wondrous spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Love you, Shabbat Mr. Shalom. Love you guys. Okay. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom, Christopher. Shabbat Shalom, Dr. P. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.